Welcome, friends, to this exciting episode of Wonder Woman Wednesdays, a classic TV and cosplay podcast where we break down each episode of the amazing Linda Carter TV series and talk a little cosplay. This episode, we look at Judgment from Outer Space, Season 1, Episodes 10 and 11. Since this is a two-parter, falling more or less in the middle of the season, I thought it would be a good time to catch up with Laura, my wife who co-hosted the pilot with me. For the pilot, we covered what was happening in the news and in pop culture when the show premiered in 1975. Well now, with the wonky timing of the first season, it's over a year later. This episode aired in January of 1977, so before we leave it behind, we're going to take a look at the amazing year in American history that was 1976. And of course, Judgment from Outer Space right here on Wonder Woman Wednesday. A space visitor arrives to prevent his planetary council from destroying Earth. Can he convince them the human race is worth saving? With Nazis on the loose, it's up to Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor to help save Earth survive judgment from outer space. Oh my gosh. This sounds like some serious stuff is going to go down. So stuff is gonna go down. Yeah. So uh so you can hear her voice. Uh my guest is the wonderful, fantastic, beautiful Laura. How's it going, Laura? Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. They can't hear you wave. Just so (laughs) that's okay. Sorry, I'm just waving at you. Oh well, hi. How's it? I'm waving back. (laughs) Okay, we're zooming in the same house because we're married. But uh, anyway, on in zoom, 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 zoom. Oh, I yeah. I didn't watch that show, so I don't really know the tune. I, that was pretty good. I've watched it. That it was, was a deep like, cut, man. Wasn't it like just a couple years sort of earlier than us? Um, yeah, it, it, it felt a little sort of advanced for me. Like I was, maybe it was like for the boomers more than it was for us. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was, I mean, it was around the same time as Electric Company, but, but it was, um, it was for older kids. Yeah, I was all about the electric company, man. Oh, yeah, me too. Hey, speaking of the 70s, what we're going to do is we're going to do something similar to the first episode. If um, if you all have been following us, which I hope you are, uh, you may recall that in the first episode, I spoke with Laura. And we, before we started talking about the pilot episode, we sort of set the stage and um, we talked about the background of the character. We talked about the um, the career of, of Linda Carter before the show. And we talked about what was going on in, I think it was 75. It was 1975, uh, November, when the premiere happened. And so we talked all about what was happening that year. And since it's been more than a year now, uh, when this episode comes out, because the way the the first season has been structured, you know, they had that November of 75 uh, TV movie as the pilot. And then there was a couple of more TV movies, uh, basically episodes two and three in the spring of 76. And then the rest of this um the rest of this first season started with episode four in the fall of 76. And uh, so the episodes have been running through the fall and the winter. And now 
This episode premiered January 15th of 1977. Um, so oh, the big year. I know, I know. But we're going to talk about 77 next year. I mean, I mean, next, 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 uh, next season. season. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, you know, don't, don't start talking about Star Wars, Laura. Right. We can't, but so we're going <laughs> to, because, so last time we talked about what was happening in, in 75. So we're going to talk all about, uh, what was going on in 76. Uh, it'll, it'll just give us a little background. It'll, it'll sort of, you know, remind us that this was a show that took place, um, you know, number one, when we hit our bicentennial. I was just going to say bicentennial. So red, white, and blue was in. Yeah. Yeah. Stars, I, and stars on your pants. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or your. And your, your cape. Whatever it is, is that she's wearing. Yeah. Well, her, uh, she has a star spangled cape for sure. I know. Right. Very it's, fancy. It's, gr- it's gorgeous. All right. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to start talking here. You chime in whenever, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start talking about uh, some of the general news that was that was going on in this. Of course, we're in the middle of the energy crisis. The energy crisis uh, was from 73 to 80, basically. Wow. And yeah, it, I mean, I didn't it, realize it, it went for so long. Yeah, I I didn't like really the realize lines at the gas stations and everybody needed to get an economy car and all of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it hit its peaks, but um, but yeah, it was going on all that time. And I think we're at 77. We're definitely sort of in the middle of it. OK. Um, and this is a year after the United States pulled out of Vietnam. Uh, the fall of Saigon happened uh, in the previous year. That and, just continues to blow my mind. Yeah. You know, that it that it went that long and that we were kids and it was happening when we were kids. I mean, I think I talked about this before. I, I mean, I'm glad our parents sort of shielded us from, from that. But, you know, you grow up and you're like, whoa, that was going on while we were in the world. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I only really heard about it back then, either from like a movie, like if there's a movie about, you know, Vietnam, like there was... Uh, one, I think, with Henry Winkler. Uh, mm. But anyway, I can't remember what it was. I shouldn't talk okay. about it. Um, but, uh, or when I was talking to older kids, like like teenagers. You know, they would talk about it sometimes. No, teenagers didn't talk to me. Oh, <laughs> well, I had older sisters, and so they hung yeah. out with teenagers. I had an so. older brother, too, but he didn't talk to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I see. Well, so you were extra shielded from from the Vietnam War. but <laughs> but. So. But it so it ended for us the previous year, and what had happened in the ensuing year is that um, a military government was inst- instituted, and on July second of seventy six, like two days before our Independence Day, uh, the country was officially united as the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, and its capital uh, is became Hanoi, and Saigon was renamed uh, Ho Chi Minh City, and so that's that's what happened there. Uh, and speaking of the military, uh, this is the year that the U.S. Navy tests the uh, the Tomahawk cruise missile, and we talk a little bit about this in the uh, episode, mm. as you as you recall. Uh, you know, Steve Steve says something about missiles and what they are, and yeah, was that in the episode that you talked with Susan? Of, uh, or was that you and it may you... have well, it may have come up, but he's. Um, but they're talking again about it in this episode because they're no, talking. I remember you and I did talk about this because we were talking about ICBMs. 
Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that, you know, you know, when this was airing, the, these these missiles, yeah, like you say, so then, you know, they mention it on the show, mm-hmm. even though it was supposed to be in the 40s. Yeah, okay, sorry. Right, yes, and, well, no, that's... You and, you and me talking about it. <laughs> well, it's just that we're jumping ahead, because it it's during the episode that Steve brings that up, and I can't remember exactly where, but he's talking about technology that the Nazis are working on, and, you know, Andros yeah. shows up out of nowhere, they're trying to figure out if he's a German and yeah. um yeah so yeah, yeah yeah so and we'll talk about that when we get to it i just right yeah. on okay also this uh is the year that richard leakey discovers a 1.5 million year old homer erectus home homer homer simpson <laughs> he found homer simpson believe yeah. it or not no a homo erectus skull in kenya and Which this I, was like the missing link. I right? think I I don't know, but I think this is yeah. I think this is like they call her Lucy now. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. She that was the missing link for a long time. Now, of course, they realize that there are many, there are many missing links. You know, there's yeah. a progression of, um, Homo sapien. No, not Homo sapiens. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm not I'm going to use the wrong term if I try to. But, yeah, but you know, I understand the, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's more complicated. You know, like everything, it's yeah. it seems simple, but it's much more complicated. Than but this it. was at the time; it was was the missing link, and yeah. still is in a way. It just turns out that it was one of many missing links. You know? Right, right. Um, also, uh, speaking of science, I don't understand cosmic string theory is first pop, uh, postulated by Thomas Kibble. So. You know, that's not something you heard about necessarily in the 70s, but stick it in your back pocket. Yeah, make it, you hear about it, it these days some. If you, yeah. If you're into the, you know, quantum physics and metaphysics and for, all that. For some reason, I remember string theory becoming a thing like, I think it was in college. Some movie brought it up or something or some pe- was, somebody what, started it, talking what about it. Do we know? No, it was before that. It was... Um, sorry, this cat just appeared behind you. Yeah, kind of frightened me. <laughs> um, no, it was it was like in a mo- like I was in college. This was like in the mid eighties or yeah. later eighties, I guess. Um, and I can't remember why, but somebody was talking about string theory. They must have, you know, been excited about it. Um, anyway, uh, also, the New Jersey State Legislature passed. Uh, le- uh, they legalized casinos. In Atlantic City. So Atlantic City wasn't a thing. I didn't know this. Atlantic City was not a thing before uh, 76. In fact, they they kind of, you know, they set it up so that it would commence. It would become uh, Atlantic City, the gambling place, in uh, 78. So they had like two years to get their act together. Now, like Branson, Missouri is a sort of a created place. Yeah, I remember. I guess Vegas was a created place, too, has come to think of it, you know. It, it was. It did not occur organically. Exactly. And, yeah, I remember when Branson was, like, they started Branson. I'm like, what are they doing? They're just, like, making a resort town out of nowhere. Yep. And I guess that's what they do. Like, it works. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> it works. So, like, here's some here's some more specific events. And this one's a little... Heavy, so I'm just going to get right into it. Actor Sal Mineo, uh, he's known for his role in Rebel Without a Cause. Sal Mineo is fatally stabbed in an alley behind his apartment. And and I remember this being a big deal. Um, But 
uh, what's interesting and germane to this uh, particular conversation is that um, episode four, uh, Beauty on Parade, the the mean girl in that, the the basic basically the uh, the the sort of subvillain uh, who was played by Krista Helm, uh, Krista Helm was murdered on the same day, huh. uh, and and it's thought that her murder is is linked to the murder of Salminia. Oh. And and those remain unsolved. Mm. So yeah, so so um so I you know in episode four we talked a little bit about about Krista Helm, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I was with uh, AMH cosplays. We we talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know there's not that much to talk about because it hasn't been solved except you know she was um. You know, she was killed in the same way as Salminio on the same day and not too far from where he was. So mm. anyway, and there are probably other reasons that the police link those murders that they're not. They haven't yeah. released that information. Sounds but, like something out of The Godfather. I know, right? Okay, so on March 20th, Patty Hearst is found guilty of the armed robbery of a San Francisco bank in 1974. Uh March 29th, the 48th Academy Awards, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, wins for uh, uh, Best Picture and Best Director. And George Burns becomes the oldest actor to win Best Supporting Actor until 2012 when Christopher Plummer gets it. And Back I'm, for um, God, the God movie with De uh, John Denver? I was afraid you were going to ask. I don't no, know. You don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't look up either one, uh, George Burns or Christopher Plummer. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, March 31st, uh, the New Jersey Supreme Court uh, rules that pers the persistent vegetative state of pa patient Karen Ann Quinlan, she can be disconnected from her ventilator. I remember that name. And I remember, I think there was a TV movie about it too. Yeah. Like I remember people talking about it because it was a big deal. It was like one of those, one of the first sort of right to, uh, you know, right to life euthanize. Uh, right, right, right. Or euthanasia, I should say. Like mm -hmm. it was a big deal. And the thing is, so she was disconnected from her uh, life support in 76, but um, she stayed in a coma until 85. Oh my God. God. Yeah. Yeah. So um anyway, interesting stuff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um so Apple Computer is formed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak on April 1st. It's not a April Fool's joke. The US Treasury Department reintroduces the $2 bill as a Federal Reserve note on Thomas Jefferson's 233rd birthday. As yeah, this and is, you and ha you and Susan had a long discussion about two dollar bills. <laughs> right, right. Like this is the year that it was reissued, and they anyway, yeah. it was yeah. So it was obviously you know maybe that had something to do with somebody coming up with the idea for the for the episode. Family Feud uh, debuts on ABC uh, with Richard Dawson, I think. Yeah, Richard Dawson laying one on every woman. Just <laughs> you know, just went up and kissed him, just snogged him. <laughs> good old richard uh <laughs> uh jimmy carter gets the nomination for uh the democratic nomination for president in uh july uh in also in july nadia Comaneci uh 
who is 14 years old at the time. She's a Romanian. She makes history by becoming the first gymnast to score a perfect 10 for her routine on the uneven bars uh, at the Montreal Olympics. I watched that. I remember that. I remember talking about it. she made even more than one perfect 10. I don't know. Like she... She absolutely blew everyone away. Apparently. Well, she she may have gone to another Olympics after this. And, oh, okay. And, and won more awards. I don't know. I I don't know. I just I I yeah. It was it was it was a very big deal. They 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 never gave tens. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the Viking program, Viking One lander, successfully lands on Mars, taking the first close-up color photos of the planet's surface. NASA soon releases the famous. Face on Mars photo. Mm, yes. There Starting was a, conspiracy wasn't there a theories. Whole X-Files episode about the face on Mars? I, there was some I, sci-fi episode about it anyway. Yeah, I I wish I watched X-Files more than I did. I like watched it one time through and that's it. I never and I don't think I watched all the episodes. Like I recorded it when it came on, but I think it might have been my fault. Oh yeah? Yeah, because it borders frequently on horror and i don't care for horror i in general i i watched very little of the x-files because it was too um, scary for me um but actually on our first date we went to see the x-files movie that's right we did yeah and we we went to red lobster and you still stayed with me it was good <laughs> it was nice it was a nice date i know but that's like a thing that's like a meme or something like i know, don't know man it wasn't are... as <laughs> You know, it wasn't as gauche at the time. <laughs> well, thank you for staying with me. Uh, <laughs> but maybe the X Files was was the clincher because that was a pretty good movie. Where did I where did I leave off here? Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, so delegates uh, attending the American Legion convention at the Bellevue uh, Stratford Hotel in Philadelphia start falling ill uh, with some kind of pneumonia, and eventually. Uh, it's recognized as the first outbreak of Legionnaire's disease. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who at the time was Bruce Jenner, wins uh, the gold medal in the men's decathlon at the uh, 76th Summer, Summer Olympics in Montreal. And he was put on the box of Wheaties. I remember yeah. the, the Wheaties box. Um, That's weird that those stories were separated by... Like Nadia Comaneci, like all this stuff happened in, in one week. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, it, it was the Olympics. So, I mean, Nadia yeah. Comaneci and Bruce Jenner being the same week makes sense. Right. But, like, there were two big events that happened between them. It was just weird that, that we didn't talk about the Olympics twice in a row. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, just, it's Wikipedia. What can you do? Right Oops, I've given away my source. Okay. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Wikipedia, in August, I started the fourth grade. No. <laughs> so no more Miss Mattoon for me. I was oh, that I was stuck crush on your third grade teacher. Totally. Miss Mattoon. She was so adorable. Very oh. cute. And and in fourth grade I got Miss Letourneau, who was not adorable and cute. I I'm sure she's a very fine person, but she didn't like me, and I as a child hated her. I, I don't use thing. I had I had the same thing with my fourth grade teacher. She hated me and she was a biatch. Yeah. She was mean. Well, now with hindsight, maybe the problem is fourth graders. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Except I wasn't. Like I was 
I, you know, I was all introverted and anyway. Yeah. That's a completely other story. <laughs> so we both went into uh, a grade where we had a problem. Although, well, you went into third grade that year. Right. But when I was in fourth grade, yeah. I had a teacher who hated me. Okay. Now, on September 6th, Frank Sinatra brings Jerry Lewis's former partner, Dean Martin, on stage unannounced during the uh, 76 Jerry Lewis MDA telethon in Las Vegas, reuniting the comedy team for the first and only time in over 20 years. I, I, I'm, it sounds like Jerry and or Dean didn't appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I never saw it. I never saw footage, but it's the only time it ever happened. Well, that's and too bad. Frank Sinatra surprised them by maybe, bringing them together. Maybe Jerry felt like he was, you know, overshadowing his his deal. Who knows? It's. I mean, I. Well, I can't. I'm not in a place to speculate, but I've heard some unkind things about Jerry Lewis. Well, the one un, the the unkind thing I've heard is that he doesn't think women are funny. Well, yeah, and he's rude about it. But yeah. I will say the MDA telethon has raised a lot of money for muscular dystrophy. Yeah. So there's that. He did some good in his life. Yeah. Um, uh, Stevie Wonder releases Songs in the Key of Life, also in September. October 21st, the Cincinnati Reds sweep the New York Yankees in four games to win the 1976 World Series. I just included that for people who care about sports. And 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 um, for our listening audience, neither Stan nor I are very much of a sports fan. I like it, Ted Lasso. Is neither of us is very much of a sports fan, right? And um, we, it's you know, we're both like, ah, okay, good. That's good for those Cincinnati <laughs> Reds. Good for those sportsers. <laughs> uh, Barbara Walters hosts the uh, f- the final presidential debate. Uh, on October 22nd, and on November 2nd, Jimmy Carter becomes president, uh, beating Gerald Ford, who's, it says incumbent Gerald Ford. I mean, I guess he is, but yeah, it's because, weird because he was never elected. Well, right. He took over when Richard Nixon resigned. Yeah. So he was the incumbent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I think it was Saturday Night Live that did him in. Maybe he some, but I read it somewhere. It's not here, but I read it somewhere where he he famously tripped at some event and well, it was caught tripped, on camera. He didn't trip at just one event. I, I think he was just like notoriously klutzy. Yeah. And was it was it Chevy Chase who always yeah. played him and did all of his like you know yeah. Holes? But but I wonder if it's one of those things that was just like blown out of proportion and. Oh, and it's become like part of the consciousness that he was always clumsy. Oh but, yeah, I'm sure. You know, just like you know, Dan. You know, Dan Quayle was, you know, always stupid. Everybody thought he was a, you know, but but and, have you and, ever and, seen the um? Have you ever seen there's there's footage. It is. Excuse me, as a as a fan of slapstick, <laughs> it is freaking hilarious. But there is footage of Gerald Ford coming down i'm thinking pretty sure it's gerald ford he's coming out of air force one down the stairs mm-hmm. <laughs> he just falls out of frame he just drops he just drops out of 
You know, I'm really sad because for some reason your microphone is not picking up your laugh. Like it's the wrong frequency. That's because I'm like, I'm laughing quietly. I don't know, but like, <laughs> I, I, he, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's such a great sight gag, uh-huh. right? He's coming down the stairs and he just goes, boop, <laughs> falls right out of the frame, just boop. So that was probably that was that was probably the probably most the one. famous. But you know, I think he had a number. Honestly, though, I bet you that 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 made him endearing. Was you know Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase, you know, um, spoofing him in that way probably made Ford more endearing in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Not that he was an endearing fellow. I don't know. I mean. I, in my opinion, he, he, he just seemed sort of benign, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he was just sort of coasting through the rest of his presidency. Uh, I, yeah. Well, except I, he ran, he ran. Well, he did, he did run, but I mean, the part of that is just that I think there was conventional wisdom at the time that you, you always run your incumbent if they're, if they're eligible. Well, I think that's still the conventional wisdom, wisdom, but. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know that that's always smart. No, I agree. Yeah, it's <laughs> what they do. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, one other thing about Jimmy Carter uh, is that he becomes the first the the first candidate from the Deep South to win since the days of the Civil War. Interesting. Is the, yeah, first Southerner, and he inherits the um, the energy crisis, which is yeah, unfortunate, and a lot of other you know the Iran hostage crisis and. Yeah, that's that was the final nail, I think. Um, but anyway, we jump ahead. <laughs> We're still in 76, and uh, in San Francisco, in later November, uh, the band holds its farewell concert, The Last Waltz, which is a famous documentary that I've never seen, but I really want to see. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be a great documentary. I didn't realize the band was such a like a thing. Well, I didn't really either, but because I think I only know one song. Like I think it, it's uh, uh, "Take a Load Off Annie." Mm. I think that's their song. Like I don't know that much about them, but I've seen part of this uh, documentary, and it's um, it's enjoyable. I mean, there's there's a way there's somehow people who shoot uh, documentaries uh, like concert documentaries. There's like there's a way to get it right, and there's a way to make it boring. Yeah, and and they really got it right because it was engaging right away. Yeah. So like like I tried to watch Led Zeppelin's song "Remains the Same" with uh, my buddy in high school who was like a big guitar player and a Led Zeppelin fan, and I just thought it was the most boring thing I'd ever seen in my life. Well, I'll tell you, in my <laughs> I mean, just in my opinion, I find a documentary about a concert to be m- much far more interesting then uh by the way i never say much far more i was switching gears in that sentence i find a documentary about a concert to be far more interesting than just a uh the footage you know just a, a filmed concert yeah 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 and that's what the led zeppelin thing was and i should say i love led zeppelin but uh but wow it was it was shot i i it seemed very uninteresting the way it was shot uh it put me to sleep Anyway, speaking of uh, Apple Computer, uh, Microsoft also registers this same year, but later, uh, with uh, the state of New Mexico. 
And Richard J. Daley, the mayor of Chicago, since 1955, dies in office. And so Richard Daley. It should be term limits. Well, the thing is, like, he is when you when people talk about like the the political machine mm-hmm. in Chicago specifically, they're talking about guys like Mayor Daly. Mm-hmm. Like he was like my grandfather loved him mm. because he was I mean, he was conservative and whatever, you know, but there's also a lot of propaganda that went along and a lot of ballot stuffing. So who knows if he actually won, but anyway, I don't want to start casting aspersions, but like Putin. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's, he was a kind of a Chicagoland Putin, but anyway, uh, well, maybe that's the, that's strong language. I I shouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of similarities. But but anyway, my my grandfather was so upset that he died. And then then he was the next mayor. Jane Byrne, that's her name, uh, was a female. And my, oh my grandfather God. grandfather's was, head must have exploded. It did. He was livid. <laughs> Just like because like he's I mean, I should point out that he is from Chicago. He's a he's what? a. He is, he was, yeah, and I'm sorry, yeah, and he's a conservative, you know, uh, Polish Catholic guy. He was barely born in this country. His his parents were immigrants, and he, you know, he was, and he was a blue collar worker. He was like, he was like a pro union Democrat conservative, like, which is kind of weird, but that happened a lot in Chicago. Basically, Archie Bunker. Yeah, he was totally. Accepted Archie Bunker was a wasp. So, but but. Archie Bunker he, was also a blue collar pro union guy. Yeah, yeah, and he probably probably worked with some Polish people down at the factory where he was the foreman. Yes, yes. I so don't know what they did there, but yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, as as far as our podcast goes, what's interesting is that uh, Daly passed away um, after after being mayor since fifty five. I mean, whew, what a relief! I'm sorry. And, I mean, you know. Bless him and all, but like that's it's time to be done with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so and then Jane Byrne. It doesn't mention Jane Byrne here, so I guess it took a while. Uh, I guess probably the next election cycle. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know, but anyway, whenever she, uh, no, but my my grandfather passed away in seventy seven. Okay. So so it had to be before that. Like my poor grandfather he had a heart attack because a woman was mayor of Chicago. That's probably what it was. <laughs> And I say I it with my that. New York accent, you know, <laughs> my terrible New York accent. Sorry, I'm trying. I should use a Chicago accent. Chicago. That's a, it's yeah, I know Chicago. Um, so anyway, that's that's my summary of uh, news from 1976. And somehow I skipped it. I don't feel like I said it. Uh, July 4th, of course, was the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary Mm-hmm. Of the Declaration of Independence, and there were celebrations throughout the land. Oh, I yes. remember. And I that that is the that is the thing that I remember about 1976 is the bicentennial. Yeah, and they issued a new quarter. Yes, I remember. Yeah, I got I had a bunch of them for a while, but slowly I just started spending them because I found out that they weren't worth anything but twenty five cents. well i think some people thought that maybe they would you know eventually be collector's items but yeah so general pop culture uh books include ordinary people by judith guest and roots by alex haley 
Oh, wow. Yeah. That just came out in 76. And yeah, I, I can't so remember when the, the I think the, the miniseries, series, it must have been in the early 80s. I think it was 80. I, I specifically remember being uh, in the house that I lived in grade school. Uh, so it, it would have had to be like 81 at the latest, but I think it was more like 79 or 80. That was a nationwide event. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, that miniseries. Uh, I mean, everybody was watching it. Well, and uh, probably except racists, but. Well, I don't know. I mean, a person like me who um, lived in a small town who had never seen an African-American, like that changed the way I saw the world. Ah, yeah. Absolutely. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, incredible. So um, Agus, Agatha Christie died that year also, and a chorus line opened on Broadway. Okay. 1976. And the Steadicam, as we know it, is used for the first time in Rocky. All right. And, Interesting. And speaking of Rocky, here are the movies. And I'm sorry this is not the like the box office, what was tops at the box office. This is the IMDb listing of movies that came out that year. So they're ordered in what was, what's most popular on IMDb, which is fine. You know, because I think it then correlates. Then you know which ones have staying power, right? Exactly. I think some of these, like, did not do well at the box office, but they've become classics. Okay. Um, and before I start the list, I'm just going to say, you and I had a conversation about about this Wonder Woman episode and what the, sci what the sci-fi influences were before Star Wars. Yeah. And so you'll hear some of the uh, sci-fi movies that came out. And yeah. also okay. when we Good. talk about... TV, I think there's some sci-fi TV, but anyway. Um, so Taxi Driver, mm -hmm. Rocky, of course, Carrie, Stephen King's Carrie, um, The Outlaw Josie Wales with Clint Eastwood, uh, and Logan's Run. Oh. So there's your there's your big sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, there are some others, but yeah, Logan's Run was was super big in, in 76. Yeah. Um, Network came out that year. Also the King Kong remake uh hit theaters oh yeah with um with jessica jessica lang lang yeah yeah that was her uh, debut movie was it really yeah wow. pretty sure yeah i think it says introducing jessica lang um all the president's men came out huh? maybe that that had something to do with the election too yeah well yeah i mean yeah um the omen came out mm. murder by death Bad, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I love. I mean, I didn't see it when it came out, obviously. But no, we uh, saw it on TV. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, there's some of it doesn't hold up so well. There's some stuff in there that's pretty racist. You know what's but, weird though? That was the first time that I um, was aware of seeing um, Elsa Lanchester. Like I, I found out much, much later that she was. Um, that she was the bride of Frankenstein. Like I knew Elsa Lanchester as being the Miss Marple's character from that movie. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I, I don't know who she is. Oh, well, she's the bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am not the, the horror movie buff that you are. <laughs> um, so uh, the bad news bears, a star is born. I remember the bad news bears. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that in the theater. That was awesome. I loved it. Um, Marathon Man came out. Oh. 
Yeah, Bugsy Malone, mm-hmm. uh, The Enforcer, Pink Panther Strikes Again, Silver Streak. Uh, that's uh, Gene Wilder and, and Richard Pryor. And I think it's their first movie together. I could be wrong, but I okay. think it Silver Streak was the first one. Okay. And then they did Stir Crazy and and uh, one or two For others. For a moment, my that. brain thought you were talking about Gene Hackman. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. what? But yes, of course, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Yeah. Comedy duo. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Freaky Friday with, um, was Jodie Jody Foster, Foster in that? And... That was the same year as Taxi Driver. Is she wow. a Taxi Driver? Yeah. She's the kid. She's like the child prostitute in Taxi Driver. Yeah, and then Tatum O'Neill was in the Bad News Bears, and Jodie Foster and Tatum O'Neill were sort of like, you yeah, know, they, like the two kid actors, you know, and the, uh, hard to tell apart too at the time. Yeah, they did a movie together called Little Darlings, I think. Oh, did they? Yeah, I don't think it did well at the box office, but I saw it because <laughs> people couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> right. Um, family Plot, Alfred Hitchcock's last movie. Wow, was Family Plot. It didn't do well, unfortunately. Like I, people thought he was off his game. Um, (laughs) I think I did. I mean, I'm thinking of a movie with John Forsyth, and he and he's always cutting his his cigarettes in half. And I think that's no, that's the trouble with Harry. Uh, No, I have not seen Family Plot. Okay, I've never even heard of it. So yeah, I I I I actually. Actually, I don't know that I've even seen all his modern. I mean, obviously, if I haven't seen Family Plot, I haven't. But I think there's one or two others. I saw Frenzy. I don't think I've seen Torn Curtain. That's also one of his modern era movies that I I haven't seen. Um, you used to have this set of of Alfred Hitchcock. It was like a what? It was VHS, and it was a whole series. Yeah, I but it was that whole all of it. You know, there was a period of time where we didn't have. TV really, and we just basically had only DVDs and VHS. Mm-hmm. So I watched all of it, and there were like there were even silent movies on there. Yeah, and I mean it's all his old stuff. Movies were incredibly engaging, and I mean just excellent movies. Yeah, I was you know my eyes were opened about Alfred Hitchcock watching all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Um, I missed that set. But I have a DVD set now. I think that's got most think, of the same. I don't think we do, but we probably nope. should. We should. We'll get one. I'll put it on the list. Um, we'll, get it. we'll go find out it costs $350. <laughs> like that, you know. We'll put it on the list of things for much, much, much later. <laughs> uh, so also Car Wash, which is a great movie. Um, the Gumball Rally. Silent movie. Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the great Raquel Welch was in Mother Jugs and Speed. Uh, it's a wonderful movie. I, it's actually terrible. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it once. Um, and it's 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 one of those like 70s movies that is just so you're not even sure if there's a script yeah. att- attached yeah, to the project. Yeah, there was a lot know. of that in the 70s. I don't know if it was like the influence of Robert Altman and yeah um and and um like scorsese and stuff and you know sam shepherd writing plays at the time and they're, they're, everything was so gritty and and i remember a lot of movies didn't have they didn't have like musical soundtracks and stuff it was all just you know it was all just i don't know i mean i can remember 
like my brother was being in the other room and hearing my brother watching a movie and there'd be these long periods of just silence except for a few sound effects of somebody moving things around or whatever and it all was so freaking gritty and dismal <laughs> yeah I'm just like I, I I think I developed my distaste for such things at the time. Yeah, well, I will say this is like a total tangent and is probably not necessarily related, but so I'm a big fan of Mash, as you might know. And- <laughs> yes, the first mention of Mash. <laughs> oh, it'll come up again, I'm sure. Yes, but, but- <laughs> uh, you know, you made it. You made it well into the uh, episode here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so there's a debate among, you know, the fans about the 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 laugh track because you can you can if you have the DVDs, you can turn off the laugh track. Mm-hmm. And I've tried and I can't do it. Yeah. Like it's just and and I I have all kinds of reasons and I'd love to debate somebody, but it's one of those internet debates where like everybody's right and they they're not listening to other people and so I never talk about it online. Uh Mash but, is your comfort food, you yeah, know, and, and you and that's the you thing about be able to watch it in the way that feels most comfort comforting. Yeah, and I grew up watching it that way. But but anyway, my point is that um, you know one of the arguments against it is like, well, where's the audience? There, there's no place for an audience to be. It doesn't make sense to hear these people right. laughing. It's and, a, nobody cares. Yeah. Well, the thing is, my one of my responses to that might theoretically be, if I ever got into this debate, yeah. the same thing is true of music. Like, you know, there's music in the soundtrack, but where's the music coming from? It's not yeah. part of the action. So, and, and so that's sort of a, a weird mash way of, of, <laughs> of uh, addressing the subject that I think, you know, the people who are making those movies that didn't have soundtracks were, were just embracing that kind of naturalism where. Yes, they were. They didn't, you know, if it wasn't part of what was happening, they right. didn't want it to be part of the movie. So. I, I know that's absolutely what they were doing. And I am here to tell you that I don't care for it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm I mean, with... it's not, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, the right movie under the right circumstances occasionally, but you know, yeah. Like, I... like, um, like that, uh, ah, what's the movie with, um, Tom Hanks where he's on a, an Island. Yeah. Castaway. Castaway. Perfect there's example. Like, yeah, there's no music. Yes. That's, but like on the Island, I should say there's no music. There's but, a score when he's when he's you know before and after he's on the island, but uh, but while he's there, it's just the sounds of the of the island. Yeah, I think. And and I will say that about that. Well, first of all, it's Tom Hanks. It's, a, it's an incredibly engaging movie, mm-hmm. right? And if something is engaging enough, okay. But also, it is visually engaging. It's not you know dirty dark gritty streets with you know i mean i just i don't know i understand getting on my soapbox let's talk about let's talk about (laughs) the next movie okay so so um this is some cult movies that came out that year uh probably you know even more so these are not really necessarily your cup of tea assault on precinct 13 john carpenter's sort of you know first big film came out the man who fell to earth david bowie Oh, uh, came yeah. out that year. Um, I watched eat- that, I think, when I was in college, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is some weird-ass shit. Yeah, that was very sort of 
70s, wasn't it? Um, on the other end of the spectrum, Eaten Alive, Toby Hooper's awesome alligator film. <laughs> it's it's actually it's I won't say it's awesome, but I did enjoy watching it. It's got Carolyn Jones, who who is on uh she's uh she's Morticia, right? That's what you were just talking about this morning, yeah. Yeah, because I was I couldn't think of her name. Yeah. And uh yeah, that was Morticia. And and uh sh- but she was also she was Queen Hippolyta in um Oh yeah, uh, on Wonder Woman. Yeah, not in the the pilot episode that we talked about, but the uh the feminine mystique. Uh Yeah, when they she... went back to And that was the one that had um Deborah Winger, right? Yes. Yes. Uh yeah, uh Diana's little sister. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Carolyn Jones played a very strange part in Eaten Alive, uh, and also Marilyn Burns from, um, from Toby Hooper's earlier film, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Robert England in a very early role. So, uh, Eaten Alive, not necessarily a great movie, but a very important film. (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Okay. Also Future World, the, uh. Uh, the sequel to Westworld came out that year. Oh, I don't have I ever seen that. I don't know that we have. I mean, we. Have, I've seen Westworld know. like three times. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen Future World. We should watch that. Absolutely, I'm up for it. Um, Alice, sweet Alice, with I believe it's with Brooke Shields. Uh, she plays a bit part. She's very young. Oh, okay. Um, Russ Myers up. Is also a movie uh, okay. that came out that year. Uh, Blood sucking freaks for for people who love those I'm movies. Noticing like a theme here. <laughs> um, Ilsa the harem keeper of the oil sheiks, food of the gods, grizzly, and the final cult movie that came out that year. And I don't know if it classifies as a cult movie, but it's it's not a a big box office uh, hit. Bobby Joe and the Outlaw, starring Linda Carter, really? came out on April 28th. Yeah, she filmed that um, movie before she got the Wonder Woman part, I think. Oh, no, maybe it was after she got the pilot, but then she didn't know if the show was going to get picked up. So maybe that's when she filmed uh, oh, okay. Bobby Joe okay. and the Outlaw. Okay. I'm not okay. sure. Wait a minute. Bring it all back around. Hey. Way to tie it in there, Stan. If that were my last pop culture section, that would have been really smart of me. But now I'm <laughs> I'm going I'm going into more pop culture. Okay. Uh just very quickly. Uh TV movies that came out that year. Kate Jackson's Death at the Love House. John Travolta in Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. Um Leslie Nielsen in Brink's Great. Uh, the Great Robbery, uh, Eve Plum in Dawn, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway, um, and Paul Michael Glazer from Starsky and Hutch uh, did The Great Houdini. Oh. Same same kind of movie that Tony Curtis did, but uh, but he updated it, I guess. I mean, I, I watched it. It was cool. Um, Helter Skelter came out that year. Uh also, Barbara Eden had How to Break Up a Happy Divorce. And Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby came out. Um, Chuck Connors was in Nightmare in Batham County. And the scariest 
TV movie that I've ever seen, probably because I was a child when I saw it. <laughs> Sybil with Sally Field. Uh, yeah, terrifying. You, man. Ooh. We were saved by Star Wars in 77, <laughs> because that sounds like a movie and TV desert to me. Really? There's you don't all think that horror movie, all the horror and all the like, I don't know. Well, I mean, where's okay. the joy? <laughs> well, Rocky had joy, although I guess he lost at the end. Spoiler alert. Um, now I have to look back at my list here. There's it's joy. Oh, it's so they're so violent and mm, network. There's nothing Harry, happy on that on either of those lists. <laughs> You're right. Nothing happy. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. Well, the bad news bears are kind of happy. It wasn't. It, it 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 was. I liked it, but it was not happy. You know. I mean, like Ma Walter Matthau was this old, you know, burned out drunk who yeah. you know was mean to these kids, but somehow the kids like helped redeem him or something. I don't know. Okay. Well, I I'm looking at this list and I can't disagree with you. I know, There's, man. I'm like, this list is bumming me out. We're looking for some joy. And maybe, maybe we can find it in the music that was coming out that year. Maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was some awesome music. So the record of the year was Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. Uh, the album of the year, Still Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon. And the song of the year, Send in the Clowns, Stephen Sondheim. Uh. And if... If I can get my act together, I may play this as a montage so you can really groove on the sound of it. But just in case I don't get to it, uh, because we are recording this days before I have to publish it. Okay. <laughs> I've never quite cut it this close before. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so I'll just go through these songs really quick. <laughs>
the music is way better than the movies and TV. Yes. It's yes. kind of like all the dystopia we had in, in the um in the aughts and the the twenty teens. Yeah. You know, it's like a period of time where everything is just dark. Yeah. Fortunately, people I think the pandemic finally just kicked people in the head and it's like maybe we could see something happy for a change. Yeah. I hear you. Uh so speaking of happy, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh what was on TV, which I think was decidedly more upbeat than what was happening with movies. Hmm. Uh and this is basically the top 20. I'm gonna start with number 20-ish. I, I cut out some of the things that that were like CBS movie of the week, you know, because that's oh, not yeah. really a show. Uh, so anyway, Hawaii Five-0, 60 Minutes, Barney Miller, Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, Bionic Woman, Welcome Back, Cotter, All in the Family, Three's Company, One Day at a Time, Barretta, The Six Million Dollar Man, Charlie's Angels, MASH, Laverne and Shirley, and the number one TV show was Happy Days. Wow. Yes. For me at that time. It was um, the Bionic Woman. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be her. Yeah. Like I, I, I picked. I like. I, I trained myself to do her mannerisms. There's a mm-hmm. way she used to like pull her hair back, and I would do that. And I just absolutely wanted to be her. And then I also watched Charlie's Angels religiously. Mm-hmm. Um. Everything, of course, changed in 1977 when Star Wars came out. Yes. And there was no going back. Right. It, um, was, all, it was all Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker from there, <laughs> from there on. Awesome. Now, in terms of Wonder Woman, uh, she she came and in. And Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was also, it was Final Woman, Wonder Woman, and and um, Charlie's Angels. Wow. Girl yeah. power. Girl power. Hell yeah. Um, Wonder Woman came in 45th. Which sounds oh. it sounds kind of not that good, but um, looking at the whole list, I mean, there were a lot of good shows that were that were not even placing as high as as Wonder Woman. Mm. You know, she's in the top fifty. You know, yeah, but she did end up getting canceled, right? Know? And well, that's the thing. Like she, um, she, uh, she did it with um, fewer episodes than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she scored higher with fewer episodes. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I should look into it as I get closer to the end of this first season because uh, I don't know what the ratings were like, um, but the network winds up letting the show go mm. and it, it does get picked up by another network. But I don't know if that meant that if it didn't get picked up, it would be canceled. I need to get more information on that. Okay. And we're not quite there yet, so that's okay. Okay. All right. So we have arrived. Laura, we have arrived at the episode. High five. All right. So, um, oh, you know what? I did write an intro. I just rewrote it and said it before. But um, this one's longer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll just read it again. An alien council sets the human race up for extinction. It's up to our lone advocate and empathetic. Oh, you know what? You know what? You didn't write that. 
I didn't write this. Yeah, that doesn't sound like you. And I didn't get the name of the person who wrote it on their website. So I obviously can't read it. Oh. Uh, or I could read it and credit the person, but but I don't know who they are. Okay. I was like Your frantically. Was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now, one thing that's interesting about this episode uh, right off the bat uh, is it it premiered January 15th. But part it's a two-parter. So mm-hmm. part one was January 15th. Part two was ja- was January 17th. And so it it wasn't like it just, you know, part two happens next week at the same time. Uh it was Saturday was the first night. That's their regular night. And then the part two played on Monday night. Maybe they didn't want to give them the next Saturday. Maybe they just wanted to and they had a slot open on Monday, whatever. Oh, you know what? Um, it may have been the inauguration. The, oh. the, the following Saturday. If it was... Oh, that's a good point. Let's see. Well, the 17th was Monday, 18th, 19th. No, the Thursday would have been the 20th. But maybe there were inauguration festivities happening on Saturday. I don't know. Who knows? I, I don't know why they... I mean, like when they did Batman, when they did the Batman two-parters, they, they played... Like one was on Monday and one was on Thursday or something like that. Oh, well, then I guess that was just the way they did it at the time. I guess it's weird because like they sure don't do that these days. I mean, they don't. It's now things are streaming, so it's hard to say. But yeah. Well, anyway, I found that interesting. Yes. So. Watch. Oh, and here's some other. I did make some notes. Here's some other sci-fi stuff from from this era like 75 and 76 so the million six million dollar man was on also doctor who um the tom baker era started in 74 nice and went all the way through to 81 yeah also in in 75 planet of the apes had a tv show and also one of my favorite science fiction shows far out space nuts with bob denver (laughs) breakfast dinner Launch, launch, launch. Oh, yes. Thank you. I, I couldn't remember what you were talking about until you said that. <laughs> yeah, that was like Saturday morning TV. Yeah, it was goofy, but it was it was goofy. Bob Denver being um, Gilligan. Basically Gilligan. Island fame. Yeah. And the and the the captain of the ship or whatever, he was very much a skipper, but he was yes. not um, Alan Hale. Is that the that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, also in 76, uh, Rollerball, Death Race 2000, more of these depressing movies. Death, um, no, Death Race 2000 is some fun campy shit. That's okay. like, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a different story. That's, that's some B movie. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's a whole different thing. Um, Escape to Witch Mountain. Which is those uh, two kids are witches. are witches. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like not you. You don't think it's a sci-fi movie. You think it's like a, oh, a fantasy totally movie. Is. Yeah. But but you don't find out until the end. Spoiler alert: that they're aliens. Yeah. You, you think they're just like they get they've got telekinesis or something. Uh. Anyway, at, at least that's the way I remember it. I admit I, I, I haven't that, seen uh, it. That sounds right to me too. Although yeah, it's been a very long time. Um, Stepford Wives also came out and Stepford Wives is sci-fi too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an, another one where you don't, 
necessarily find out right away that it's sci-fi. Some other ones I already mentioned, something called Arc 2. And I forget why that was, uh, I feel like there was somebody in that that was interesting, but I didn't write it down. Bad me. Uh, Future Cop was a TV show. And of course, Space 1999 was also on TV. I was wondering. Yeah. I was wondering because when we were talking about you know, this episode and, uh, you know, the judgment, you know, judgment from space and everything. I mean, so it was definitely in the air. All of this sci-fi stuff was in the air for sure. Yeah. And Star Wars came out. Yeah. It's just that Star Wars did it bigger and better than anybody else, but it was all happening. Mm -hmm. Space 1999, you know, if, if you are a sci-fi fan, listening audience and you ever watched space 1999 go back and watch some of it again it is the slowest most plodding like i think it's meant to be sort of like psychological drama Mm -hmm. but it is i guess because they were trying to fill an hour or you know what i bet you they were doing i bet you they were trying to do 2001 a space odyssey yeah i think that was still part of the influence yeah we all know that um kubrick stanley kubrick Mm -hmm. loves to take his time (laughs) you know and and sort of freak you out psychologically and do all kinds of crazy images and stuff so i think space 1999 was i mean it was an obviously influenced by stanley kubrick right Mm. yeah but You know, it wasn't directed by Stanley Kubrick. So it was, it's just tedious in a lot of cases. You know, it just is weirdly slow. So Star Wars came out like a a shot out of a cannon. I mean, it just absolutely, the pacing of it was, which I think was one of the huge disappointments. I'm not even talking about Wonder Woman. I'm sorry. That's okay. I think it was one of the huge disappointments in um, when the Phantom Menace came out, right? The the new the the episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars, because the first you know the 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 first three that came out, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, were they had that like fast paced stuff, mm-hmm. and the Phantom Menace was just like plodding. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. My point is, is that there was a lot of sci-fi going on. Mm -hmm. And this episode, I was surprised because I kind of thought, well, all the sci-fi stuff mostly started happening after Star Wars. But that's not the case at all. I mean, it's clear based on what you just read that there there was a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. You know? And technology was improving. So, I mean, that's that's kind of what... uh, boosted the the superhero movies recently is that technology got better so that you could you know you could portray things in in a a different way do you think it was star trek that that influenced this like upsurge in sci-fi uh possibly yeah i mean i i don't know what other like you know total sci-fi shows were on that were contemporary with uh with with um, Star Trek, I don't know. 
Well, I'm just saying that, like, in if there's this sort of upsurge in in sci-fi in the early seventies. Uh huh. Well, I mean, they but they found. I mean, you know, didn't Star Trek get can- canceled by seventy? Oh yeah, it did, and, but it be it, but it lingered. I mean, people and it was too expensive to make. I mean, that's right. That's well, like I, the... I, I maybe I don't know, but it was like Firefly. You know, it was it was canceled way too soon. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I'm just wondering what what caused this. What was the ripple effect that caused the sci-fi to be happening? And Wonder Woman, in its way, I mean, sci-fi slash fantasy. But like, mm. Wonder Woman is is sci-fi. Sort well, of. I think you could follow this all the way back, like all the way back to like radio drama and stuff, because because so many things affected other things. Like, you know, this part of the reason that Wonder Woman is there is because Batman was a series and Batman. Well, yeah, was, totally. Yeah. And, and part of the reason Batman was successful, honestly, is because of color television. Like Batman was one of those shows that was so colorful. Yeah. You could, you could do a superhero thing. Yeah, you know? I mean Technicolor, man. Yeah, and all so, so I don't know. I mean, you could follow all kinds of influences, and and I I don't know. Like I don't know. You know, Outer Limits and and Twilight Zone came before Star Trek. Oh, and then, sure, yeah. And then after Star Trek, you know, this kind of the era era that we're talking about, and there may have been, you know, because people were so in love with with their urban dramas, you know, like like. Streets of San Francisco and Harry right, O and yeah. all this stuff that was happening. Driver and, yeah. Yeah. So, so there wasn't a lot of sci-fi for a while, uh, but there was in the movies. So I don't know. The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I don't know either. I, I, I'm just, I'm just curious. It would be interesting. It would be interesting to sort of look at that. Yeah. You know, like, like if draw I were a diagram and go for a PhD, maybe I would, maybe I would write my PhD about, you know, the evolution of science fiction through yeah. the, you know, through the modern era or something, just to I kind think of. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, and what are you going to do with that, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> write a book. Right. Well, you yes, one could write a book. Yeah. Except, you know, it might not be very interesting. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I think it would be. I think you should write that book. Oh God! Okay. After you get your PhD. Oh my God! No, I can't. That is so much time. So let's start with our credits, shall we? Our director. Yeah. Uh, this episode is directed by Alan Crossland. You know what? I didn't check if if both episodes have the same writer and director. Oh, I'm I just, bet they do. I mean, I, it's... I have to assume that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like. You know, sometimes there's a two-parter with a very different tone. In oh, that sounds crazy. One. Why would anyone do that? I don't know. I, I don't know the ways of television. True. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, but I know it happens. Uh, so I'll just assume that. And if I need to correct it, um, I will. By gosh. Um, so, yes, Alan Crossland, who, according to IMDb, this is just a side note, the man had six wives in his career. Holy crap. And one of them, by the way, was named Jean Margaret Smith. What? Really? So your cousin was married to this guy. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, just just uh, the only reason we're surprised about that is that <laughs> my cousin's name is Jean Margaret Smith. Yeah. 
Um, so anyway, this guy, uh, he's been directing since like Alfred Hitchcock, Twilight Zone. He directed the Bionic Woman pilot and yes, and the six million dollar man Bigfoot episode. I think there was more than one Bigfoot episode, but and then there was a Bigfoot episode that uh was on the Bionic Woman too. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I should put the emphasis on woman, not bionic. Yes. Um the I did is because I was thinking of Wonder Woman, but she doesn't have a she doesn't have a Bigfoot episode. She has a um Gargantua episode. Gargantua episode, yes. <laughs> yes. This episode was written by Stephen Candle. He unfortunately passed away last year, but he's been writing stuff like uh, Gidget, Batman, Star Trek. He wrote the two Mud episodes, uh, the Harry Mud episodes. He wrote, he did write these uh, Wonder Woman episodes, the, both both of these uh, two-parter, but he also wrote the season two premiere and he wrote Mind Stealers from Out of Outer Space, which is kind of related to this episode. There's oh. an, an there's an Andros character played by a guy named Dak Rambo. Dak. Dak. Yeah, that's somebody's real name. I know. <laughs> Dak, Dak Rambo. Dak yeah, that, Rambo. That is a completely made up name. <laughs> now, um, Kitty O'Neill is credited as uh, Linda Carter's stunt double. And nice. I've been I've been going back and forth with this. I this is weird, you know, weirdly out of order. But I, yesterday, I was talking to Sean about the Bushwhackers episode, which, which, that podcast episode doesn't come out for another couple of months. But we had a lot of discussion about Kitty O'Neill uh, and Jeannie Epper, you know, mm. her her stunt people, and it seems like at least if you're following IMDb and and a few comments here and there that Kitty O'Neill was, was very involved in this first season and, okay. and Jeannie Epper was, was very involved in the second two seasons. Oh, okay. Okay. The second and third seasons, I should say. So, so I think uh, we can assume that the stunts in this were, were Kitty O'Neill. Although honestly there aren't, Oh no, there is some cool stunt work. I I, uh, I forgot. There's that about one that we noticed where the she Library of Congress. Jumps off the, oh, she she sort of rebounds. She's jumping over the yeah the, the library stacks, mm-hmm. and she sort of like just just taps her heat like, her like feet on there. Kicks off of the top of the thing, jumps down on the guys. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. And so we were, anyway, we were speculating about who that might be. Right. Right. So anyway. So our scene opens up, right, uh, with an intergalactic council, and Andros uh, is uh, played by Tim O'Connor. Yes, and we need to mention right away. Yes. Do you want me to say it? You say it. What What are you going to say? I don't know the name of the character. Do you know the name of the character? Uh, Dr. Elias Hewer. Okay, so... Tim O'Connor, who plays Andros in this episode, uh, is the same actor who plays Dr. Hewer on Buck Rogers. Yeah. And, Gerard. and and he might be wearing the same costume. <laughs> Not only the same costume, but I swear his his crazy alien necklace. Yeah, I think he wears that little alien, that necklace too. Like, was this some um, Gary Larson or um Scary. Aaron Spelling or who? 
Gary Larson like, was not involved with this show. Um, okay. But Who's he might have been. Who produced um, Battlestar Galactica? I think that was Gary Larson. Okay, because I, you know, he recycled a lot of his stuff. He recycled stuff from Battlestar Galactica and used he used the same ships, mm-hmm. a lot of the same uniforms, the helmets, and everything from Battlestar Galactica to um, uh, Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers, yeah. Um, what about Twiggy was in um, uh, Buck Rogers, right? Yes. Or Tweaky? It was. I'm not sure it was Twiggy. It was. Tw- Twinkie, Twinkie. I, I've never no, been completely clear. Yeah, Twiggy was the the model. Um, yeah, Tweaky was the the little Twinkie. robot. I think Twinkie. it's Tweaky. Yeah, and so he, but he carried um, an artificial um, an AI an AI yeah. uh, doctor around his yeah. neck, right? And and that necklace reminded me of the necklace that um, that Andros has in this. But that's making me think that that. Tim O'Connor didn't play a doctor. He was some sort of he was like a um it says doctor. military leader or something. What? But but my my paper says doctor. Right okay. here. Well then Dr. Elias. Doctor. Okay. Um, anyway. Oh my yeah. god. I'm sorry, that's a major tangent. But oh, that's oh okay. we we're talking about Tim O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah, Tim that's O'Connor. That's how what people would recognize him. Right. Unless you're me, you would recognize him from MASH. He, he played <laughs> he played two characters in Mash, a guy named um, Captain Traeger, who was a doctor who was an absolute asshole, and Colonel Spiker, who was a colonel who was an absolute asshole. Like he it's played not interesting because he's very uh, warm and sort of yeah warm and fuzzy uh, on Buck Rogers and, and in this. I think, I mean, I think that this Wonder Woman episode is how he got the job. Uh, oh, yeah. Buck Rogers. I just, I kind of have no doubt. I mean, I swear I to God, that, yeah. it's the same outfit that he's wearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like his, you know, you know, all aliens wear metallic silver outfits. Well, if, right? if, they're, if they're going out, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim O'Connor also... Uh, starred in Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Hawaii Five-0, Gunsmoke, All in the Family, Ellery Queen, Columbo, and he's going to come back season three in Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, right. his He's going to be Colonel Elliot in The Starships Are Coming, and I looked at a picture of him. He's got an eye patch. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. So we can expect that in season three, if I ever get to it. And there's another alien that has a lot of dialogue, Sakri. She's kind of the foil for for Andros, right? Like they're yes. they're sort of on opposite sides here at the table. And yes. she's and she's... I would like to say that it is to the credit of this show mm-hmm. that she's an African American. Yeah. And she didn't just have, you know, she didn't just like show up with no lines and walk through the scene. Like she was she was essentially the antagonist. This was 1976. Yeah. You know, there was also another, there was a another African-American woman on the council, but she didn't say anything. Yeah. And then another also, uh, another uh, like white man, I guess, on the council. Right. Uh, neither, neither of them, they didn't, they were, you know, they didn't get lines, but. Yeah. Well, maybe their species didn't talk. <laughs> maybe. But, but Sakri, um, 
so yeah, no, she's a good actress. She's um, I think she has a theater background, and she was on Alfred Hitchcock. Like she started way back. It, Alfred Hitchcock, yes. Mary Tyler Moore, nice. and she's been working for a long time. She did something I can't remember what the date was. I think it was like twenty eighteen or twenty twenty. Uh, something called Pinocchio's Revenge. <laughs> that was her last her okay. last movie. So anyway, and the third the third alien of note is Vic Perrin. Uh, who plays Gorel? He's the guy with kind of like this, like the big face and the small head. I don't know how else to no, describe him. No, his head is not small. He, I think he's a small person with a big head. <laughs> okay, and well, and, and his hairstyle was not doing him any favors either. Well, it was, but he, I, you know, you when you see him, you know that you have seen him in other things. Yeah, yeah, he looks very yeah, he familiar. Had a and unique he, look. Yeah, and he sounds and, familiar. It got him. It got him roles for sure. Yeah, like he was. Uh, he did a lot of voice work. He so, wasn't Doctor Shrinker, was he? Uh, I feel like he was, but I, I, I didn't write it down. Let me. But he I'm totally just, looks like Doctor Shrinker. You start talking, and I'm going to look it up. Okay. Um, well, what's I'm going to. Name? Uh, his name is Vic Perrin. P E R R I N. And what's exciting to me about him, and you, you'll hear it in his voice if you think about it, um, he was Nomad on Star Trek, the voice of Nomad. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of his, his voice credits. I mean, there's tons of them. He does all kinds of Super Friends, Jabberjaw, Scooby-Doo, and Buck Rogers. I don't know, I don't know what he did on Buck Rogers. but Yeah, really unique uh, look. Dr. Shrinker on there. Well, I'm trying to find it. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he was he was played by Jay Robinson. Oh, okay. So, right. Well, anyway, he kind of looks, looks like, like Doctor Shrinker. He looks kind of like him, yeah. Okay, like 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 our like our listening audience. I mean, I guess if our listening audience, uh, if the people in our listening audience are Gen X, they will know what we're talking about. Absolutely. Everyone else will be like WTF. um so so dr shrinker who's not dr shrinker and uh sakri and andros get into this discussion right what is the planet called earth two billion inhabitants primitive nation states true beginnings in science they call themselves humans they always call themselves human but they're not they are savages and they're dangerous not yet. Do they have atomic power? They're just beginning to develop it. But they do have wars. Yes. Warlike savages with atomic power. Next, space flight. Then they become a threat to every civilized planet. I vote we sterilize this Earth now. And Andros is like, hold the phone. I've and Andros, been, by the way, has been observing and studying Earth for 3,000 years. He's, yeah. And I guess... So, like, it's his pet planet. He he, right. he cares about us. Yeah. You know, I didn't... They didn't make it clear that if he had other pet planets. Like, did he just spend, like, a year here and then go someplace, someplace well, else for a year? Well, you long, I guess you, you, do, you do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, he hasn't been here for a while because he arrives and then makes himself known. Um, so he's been away for a while anyway. So he uh, he talks them out of, like, taking action immediately. 
He's like, let me go down there and figure things out. Yeah. Basically. And so he has to head to Earth. And so when he flies, and of course he lands near Washington because first stop, the the great US of A, right? I know, right? <laughs> well, uh, it's because the, the thing just... takes place in the US. Like if we were watching uh, you know, Doctor Who, then he would land in London. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it, yeah, I mean, everything, everything made here is very U.S. centric for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but also that's where Wonder Woman is. So if, anyway, well, so he, so he, he flies to Washington. That's going to be his first stop. And, and some weird weather happens and you see like clouds and lightning over, over, um, you know, the Capitol or whatever. And, and his, comet slash spacecraft yeah, it's just essentially a little orb of light goes yeah. across <laughs> goes across a like a skyline of dc and then suddenly there's rain um so steve and diana well they show steve and diana sort of the next morning and they talk about whether there were weather anomalies or something something landed maybe it was a meteor we don't know yeah and uh and that's when steve mentions uh what we were talking about that that uh, it may be a weapon the Nazis have been experimenting with airborne missiles. Mm, yeah. And, and if I may <laughs> take a small detour, I want to talk a little bit more because I was confused when we had that discussion about what were the missile or rocket capabilities that they had in World War II. I didn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't really clear on that. So here's what I got uh, from Wikipedia. So in World War II, unguided rockets were in use, but there was there were no surface-to-air guided missiles. So, like, they had rockets that they would just hope went in the right direction. Oh, interesting. They would just aim them and shoot them. Yeah, yeah, like like the next step above, like, mortar fire, you know, like, right, right. Just, just, you know, give it some, some propellant and let it fly, and hopefully it'll hit something. Mm -hmm. So, um, so they didn't have any surface-to-air like guided missiles. So nothing that they could shoot planes down, nothing that they could, you know, with, with any real degree of accuracy, like fire from miles away. Hmm. Um, so the Nike Ajax was tested by Bell Labs in 1952. So this is already 10 years after the episode hmm. and it's the end of the Korean war. Um, so, so what's the actual quote that Steve says? Uh, I didn't write it down exactly, but he says the Nazis have been experimenting with airborne missiles, and he says something like they're like um, they're like torpedo, like airborne torpedoes. Okay, he, so yeah, that's those are the unguided ones then. Yeah, he makes a comparison about. to like submarine okay. torpedoes because you can, I mean, torpedoes are fired from a relatively close distance. You get right. you get close and enough to a ship. They're not guided; you just aim them. Right, I, yeah. that's the way I understand it. So. The um, so in 1952, the first operational uh, surface-to-air missile system uh, was activated. Uh, I'm sorry, it was activated two years later after it was introduced in 1954. Uh, because of the Cold War, Soviets also developed a similar anti-aircraft surface-to-air missile, and American and Soviet technology met over Vietnamese airspace. So that's that's where both sides kind of started testing these um this technology was in vietnam so that's kind of the timeline of the okay. sort of missile technology that steve is talking about 
and obvious and it's all kind of weird because you you know the the thing is that's what the writers in the 70s know about and steve doesn't know about any any you know they can they can put these ideas in in his head like you know well we're very close to developing this technology yeah, because yeah. the writers know that they are close to developing yeah. that technology so yeah okay so uh, so then we see some soldiers out there kind of looking for what might have landed. Yeah. And and Steve and Diana are there. Uh, and then Andros just sort of appears. He's been walking through the forest. And he yeah. probably because he knows, oh, there are soldiers over there. They'll take me to their leader, basically. Yeah. And Because that's, that's his basic question, you know, take me yeah. to your leader. Uh, yeah. You know, he says, I need to talk to... Uh, Roosevelt and your Congress, and then Stalin and Churchill and De Gaulle and Chiang Kai-shek. And I'd also like to talk to Mussolini, Hiro, uh, Hirohito and Adolf Hitler. And they're yeah, all and like... They're, and they're like... Um, <laughs> and oh, oh, by the way, the first thing he does is speak German to them. Oh, that's right. He thought maybe everybody spoke German. Yeah. And I don't know if that meant that maybe... He couldn't think that he's in Germany, so maybe he thought well, Germany knows? was doing maybe so well in the war that, you know... Maybe that's the I last mean, place he was. Yeah, and I mean, to him, maybe, who knows, you know, everybody's multilingual or something. Yeah, I mean, Germany's, German is a good guess, you know, for a language, why not? But I think this is a good place to note that this story is essentially the day the world stood still. Wow, you're right. You that, right? I didn't think of that. You didn't? No. That surprises me. I think we even <laughs> talked about it when we were watching it. But anyway. Oh, did I? Well, uh, but but yeah, I mean, like even his saucer, even though it's way smaller. Way looks, smaller. Like it looks like part of it must be underground, but it's not. Yeah, it's, well, you it's know, they have a budget that yeah. they, you know, and, and like they built, they did not, yeah. They, like, they, they built it on the ground so you wouldn't have to see the bottom part of it, right? Yeah, TARDIS technology. But, but it's it's a very similar like he has a very similar entrance uh -huh. a very similar message yeah he's basically like you know uh i've come to evaluate you and if you don't measure up you're done for right you know? it's essentially the same story yeah except plus wonder woman right yeah and so so there's a couple of things that happen here number one you can see that he when he looks at diana Mm. Even before she changes to Wonder Woman, which is is kind of funny, <laughs> the way she does it, because like he looks at Diana, and he kind of nods at her, like I understand, you know, I I get that you're not one of these people exactly. I recognize that you're special, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he just kind of nods, but he doesn't. He that's unspoken, right? So he right. he just kind of nods at her, and 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 then he's talking like to the this general that's there and Steve. And Diana kind of slinks off. I like, know it's goofy. <laughs> She's like, like nobody's gonna see her. Let me just dip out. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, what is she gonna go do? She's and, gonna turn into Wonder Woman. <laughs> and then, and then, and then she's just gone, and Wonder Woman's there, and it's like everybody's clueless. Well, when Steve's here's the thing, she probably just counts on the fact that when Steve is engaged in very important high level stuff. He kind Nobody of forgets what she's doing. Yeah. Like no one else will notice her, but Steve, the one person that might notice she's gone, uh, is very busy with, with a high priority alien. 
Well, dang, you're probably right. So it's sad to say it, but you're probably right. I mean, the thing the thing that's weird is Andros most likely sees her leave. Like she can't do she can't sneak away the way she did without Andros seeing her. And yeah, it's absurd. Like everybody would see her. Well, <laughs> well, I think there would see it. I think it's possible that that nobody would see it but Andros because if she's in the cluster of soldiers in the rear, then she's behind them. She's behind everybody, and they're all looking at Andrew. Well, then the director should have made that more. Yeah, he just, okay. she he was she was just standing next to one guy. He's he's busy working on his fifth wife. I think this director <laughs> at this time he's not he's not paying attention. He should right. he should have set it up better. So so anyway, so then um, she changes into Wonder Woman and then sneaks back as though she's been standing there the whole time. And and at some point, you know, like there's this sort of tense standoff where Andros is just trying to tell them who he is and he's being really casual. And the, the general is kind of like, you know, listen, buddy, we're going to arrest you. You come in here speaking German. Uh, and and the one of the soldiers, um, doesn't one of the soldiers draw his gun? Like they're he draws a, a grenade. A, oh, well, that happens after this i think he first he makes the soldiers oh, well, freeze. yeah they all and he yeah he kind of freezes them they're all I like think, yeah know. one of the guys is going to like pull his gun and so he makes them freeze or they're just going to go for him that's what's going to happen so yeah they were uh, they were going to tackle him or something yeah so he makes them freeze and that's the first the first sh showing of his power yeah and and then when he unfreezes them uh that's when the guy throws a grenade he, completely like on his own, you know, by his own choice, given no order to do so. Yeah, the general just kind like, of yells at him later, but he just, <laughs> Yeah, but he's just like, he just throws a freaking grenade at the guy. Yeah, and so Andros, when the grenade lands in front of him, he, he goes and picks it up and puts it in his hands so it'll explode in his hands without hurting anybody else. Right. And so everybody's amazed. Right. And, and then... This crazy soldier guy pulls a gun because like, oh, the grenade didn't work. I better shoot him. So and then Steve grabs the gun and says, uh, I think we're dealing with, you know, he's like, we're dealing with something much bigger than, you know, some Nazi that that happened into our woods. Yeah. So so both him and the general are convinced that at least they should, if not do what he say, at least take him to somebody who has more authority. So they're gonna they're gonna escort him someplace and figure it out. But then they also want to show of his power. Right. So well, that's that's something they anywhere they want to see his power. Yeah. Well, first they they're gonna take him to this sort of holding, uh, like these uh, this right. little, it's like an apartment or a dormitory <laughs> or something. I, I forget I forget what it's called. We're going to um, keep you in an apartment until it's time for us to see what you can do. <laughs> right. And by the way, so this general is played by a guy named Arch Johnson, which is, that's another cool name for an actor, Arch Johnson. And he did a, a lot of TV all the way through 1990, Death Valley Days. He did three light, uh, Twilight Zone episodes. One, in one of them, he was Jesse James. And he was in The Sting. And the sergeant, the goofball sergeant, who I believe either threw the grenade or tried to shoot him, uh, is named Phil Formacola. 
Formicola. Most of these names are fake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Well, the thing is, you know, once you get once you get into uh, the acting biz, right? You gotta first of all, you gotta have a memorable a memorable name or a good name or a cool name. Uh, but also, you have to make sure that it's not the same name that somebody in the union has already used. That's true, but I think that I think that you know there were a fair number of stage names that went on. I don't think it happens as much as it used to, but well, Phil Formicola, which is spelled F I L, Phil. <laughs> uh, he was sorry. The... He's laughing because I shook my head and rolled my eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's 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 his name, you know. Uh, but he was in the Bob Newhart show, and what's his name, Philbert? It could be. <laughs> it very well might be. Uh, and he was in David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Isn't that the best TV show title ever? And why haven't we seen it? But like David Cassidy was like a pop music guy. It, he so. was in the Partridge Family, and then right. he he did more music, and then right. he wanted to do another TV show. Right. And so why was he undercover? I don't know. <laughs> we have to have watched the show to find out. Okay. Maybe he was jealous of his brother, Sean, who. Uh, no, well, his brother, I, Sean, followed in his footsteps. His, his, Sean was a little brother. I don't think that's happened yet in in 70. Well, I don't know when the, the David Cassidy man undercover happened but okay. did, I, I can't and i can't remember when the hardy boys came out but i think it was after this episode anyway oh yeah um so so after this scene one of the soldiers i believe it's phil formicola uh, goes um goes to uh tell a reporter what's going on because he wants a little money he's like i got a lead for you give me some money and and, and so this reporter is Paul Bjornsson. And I will say right off the bat, I respect this actor. I'm I'm going to talk about some of his credits, but his goofball uh, Swedish accent drove me crazy. And yet his name <laughs> is Bjornsson, so he might actually be Swedish. Well, no, the, the character's name is Bjornsson. The guy's oh, I see, I see. The guy's American. He's Scott Highlands. Okay, okay. And I'm what I'm saying is, I think this guy's a good actor, but I don't know who told him to do this goofball accent. Well, he sounds like the Swedish chef from The Muppets. He seriously does. No, he doesn't. Not quite. <laughs> it's not quite that bad. You don't think so? No, I don't think it's quite that bad. I mean, I could. For, to be fair. He is probably have you a Nazi. Heard a Swedish accent like this. The Swedish and Norwegian accents have a lot of lilt in them. But every every sentence ended with lilt. Yeah, every one. I don't. I don't know that that's unusual. I mean, that's the thing that drove me crazy. Is every single statement that he made sounded like a question? Yeah, because his his voice went up at the end, yeah. and and that feels to me like a, a cheat or a shortcut for an accent. I mean, what do you want well, <laughs> for I, these people for this little yes. TV show? <laughs> well, I will also say that he is probably a Nazi who is faking being a Swedish guy. Well, that's exactly the point. Yeah, yeah. So it's the so Nazi's in fault. In a way, it works for the character. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. So anyway. Um. And we've you know we've jumped ahead. Yes, he is a Nazi because he he tells this 
you know, so so the soldier tells him as he thinks he's telling a, a reporter that there's, hey, we got an alien who like is super powerful and you know can can hold a grenade while it blows up. And Bjornson plays it cool. He's like, oh, well, that's I'll see if I can use that, maybe. And then he goes and calls his commander. Turns out he's a Nazi, right? Yeah. So he calls uh, General von Dreiberg, who is uh, Kurt Kasnar. And uh, he was like a big Broadway guy. He didn't have a lot of credits, like, uh, but he was in, um, on Broadway, he was in Sound of Music and Kiss Me Kate. And uh, anyway, uh, so we find out that um, Bjornsson is going to find out what he can about this alien. Because immediately, you know, after he talks with his commander, they're like, you know, they're, they're, uh, this is like some kind of scientist who's got some uh, atomic technology or something. Right, right. Yeah, they, they, they are, this, this guy just will not believe that he's, you know, an alien with superpowers. Yeah. He's like, he must be some sort of spy. Yes, yes. So uh, back at the War Department, Blankenship arranges a meeting for Andros uh, at the White House. But that's where he says, um, you know, so you can meet at the White House, but you have to demonstrate your powers. Yeah. Like really demonstrate them. Not just like, you know, hold a, a grenade in your hand. Let's, let's really <laughs> see one. something. Somehow that's not good enough. Right. <laughs> So Andros. The thing is, is their real ulterior motive is to see if he can be used as a weapon. Oh yeah, always yeah. Um, and Andros agrees, and then he quotes Socrates, and Diana knows what he said. I mean, he quotes Socrates in Greek. Yeah. And Diana knows what he's saying, and it's something about barbarians. I actually didn't write it down. And then he's like, "Oh, you know that great man too." Yeah, and she's like, she kind of uh, like looks at the floor and like. <laughs> uh, so then, so then they take Andros to the Harrison Academy. That's the place that I was trying to think of, like the dorm or whatever, wherever they're. Oh, okay. Like I'm supposed to know what the Harrison Academy is. I don't know. They're like, we'll take him to the Harrison Academy. Like that's you know someplace special. And so great. So they take him to this dorm or whatever it is, and as they're you know they get out of the car, like like Diana and Steve are in a car. I don't, I don't think everybody was in that same car, but they pull up and they're going to take Andros inside and Diana stays in the car and I'm not sure why. I don't know if she gives a reason or if she's just like stopping the car and getting her purse or whatever, you know, whatever it is Yeoman Prince would do. Mm -hmm. um, but Steve's already out of the car and him and Andros and another guy, I can't remember who, or maybe it's just him and Andros. But anyway, they're attacked by Nazis. Yeah, but they, they, you don't know they're Nazis. They're just in plain clothes. Oh, that's right. They're, they're that's essentially right. mugged. That's right. They think they're mugged. Just that... randomly out on the lawn in broad daylight <laughs> in front of this military barracks. Yeah. Some like random plain clothes people come and jump them. Yes. And um, I think there is another guy because there's a lot of muggers and and um Bjornsson shows up as a, a like a hero you know like he's going to help them fight but these not muggers. before wonder woman shows up are you getting to that i i i forgot i i went out of sequence so i did mention diana stayed in the car she stayed back so that when when they get jumped she looks and she's like oh this is a job for wonder woman so so she 
quickly turns into Wonder Woman, and then she jumps in and helps with the fight. And you have to know that she does some kind of crazy ballet leap. She, that's right. We we replayed that because she, yes, like, she like jumps leaps, in off screen like ballet style into the fray. It's yeah. pretty hilarious. It was awesome. Was that now? Was that a stunt person? Do you think? I, I can't I, remember I the shot. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was it was fairly Both like of the from stunt a distance. People are not quite as statuesque as Linda Carter. Like who is right? Right. Right. Uh, I was noticing that Linda Carter has the longest thigh bones of any human I've ever seen. I, I just don't. Yeah. I just don't think you know the stunt people. Just no normal human has legs that long. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know. Right. Maybe Julie Newmar. <laughs> that's, Maybe that's about it. But is <laughs> Julie Newmar a normal human? I don't think so. Probably not. I wouldn't say. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so I think it's the stunt person, but she does some kind of crazy ballet leap into the front. <laughs> yeah, and, she does. You know, you, you notice Wonder Woman never hits anybody. She just throws them around usually. Exactly. She yeah, pushes she... them and throws them. Yeah. Very <laughs> few punches ever happen from coming from her. I'm trying to, I can't say for sure. I mean, we've got a lot of episodes to go. Yeah. And, you know, she's got to punch somebody. Maybe. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But you don't see much of it. No, you know? she she throws she them. She just picks people up and throws them. Yeah. Um. So so between her and Steve, um, and uh, you know, reporter Bjornson, uh, they they, the muggers run away, and as as it happens often in this show, Wonder Woman could chase them. She could. I know. I'm like, why does somebody go after? They just let them go. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Like they they run away and they're like, oh, well, that was. I'm glad we're. I'm glad we're all okay. Right. And meanwhile, Andros is like, is everybody on this planet so violent? Yes. You know? Yes. And it's He's... like, I, how are you going to just let? I mean, what the hell? You're just going to let these people go? Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, they get him inside the Great Harrison Academy. And Wonder Woman and, um, or no, I'm sorry, Andros uh, says something about Lincoln, because there's a, a, a picture of Lincoln on the wall. Uh, Lincoln, Andros says Lincoln once accused him, uh, accused me, Andros, of, of being impatient with humanity. And, uh, and yet he's still feeling kind of impatient with humanity. <laughs> and so he decides to leave. He's like, I don't think I want to enjoy your hospitality. Like he's not mad about it, but he's right. like, I'm going to take off. And Steve is trying to diplomatically say, you can't go. Right. And, and, but Andros like, you know, waves his hand or, or, you know, touches his medallion or something. And suddenly there's a force field. Right. Oh, Which... and, well, I was just going to say, this is the scene because Wonder Woman comes in and it's kind of where Andros realizes that she's got some kind of, secret identity because she he kind of winkingly says good thing it's a good thing you were here wonder woman or something like that you know yeah. like, good thing you showed up so he so, is putting together that she's also yeah. diana prince so there's this force field and i think they actually put up some kind of glass or plexiglass because right. steve and the other guy had to sort of put their hands up against it yeah. and maybe they were just so bad at mime that they couldn't do it <laughs> I know. I noticed that. You can actually that. see a little bit of a reflection. Like, there is an actual something there. Yeah, and you can see there, you know, sort of like the spots that appear on their hands. Right. As, as though they're right. touching glass. Whereas yeah. later, 
Linda when, Carter comes up against a similar force field and she just mimes hers. Right. Yeah, she doesn't you know, get the so glass. More power to Linda Carter. <laughs> That's right. She's better mime than... Than the Steve least. Trevor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Are you all right? I notified the police. Oh, it's okay, Diana. It's all over. Had a little help from Wonder Woman. Yes, it's fortunate Wonder Woman was so close at hand. Isn't it, Yeoman Prince? Yes, it was very fortunate. And we had some help from this good Samaritan. And Fort Beyonce. Oh, yes, Yeoman uh, Diana Prince. Is this violence customary? Well... Unfortunately, every big city has some crime. Ah, yes, of course. Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah, and your Barbary coast, yes. The names of the cities change, but the squalor and the crime do not. Uh, yeah, well, we can talk about it later. Yes, I'd like some details for my new service. Uh... I'm sorry. I think we'd better postpone any meetings made to Trevor until I gather more data. Look, they were just petty crooks. Yes, petty crooks, but why are there always so many of them and so few of the others? He once accused me of being impatient with humanity. Lincoln? Yes. Well, perhaps I am impatient, but one week later, he was assassinated. I'll contact you, Major. Well, I'm sorry, Andrews, but for your own protection, it's better. So we've taken a little break and had some realizations uh, during our break. Uh, mine was that I forgot to mention uh, the the acting credits for the fellow who's playing Bjornsson. And so I just want to briefly uh, talk about him. His name is Scott Highlands. And as I said, I think, I mean, he's got some great credits here. He's still at it. And so I don't mean to disparage him by insulting his accent, but I think we decided that uh, it was a Nazi attempting to sound like a Swede. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so uh, Scott Highlands... Uh, he's he was a uh, uh, sort of a day player on like the streets of San Francisco, Kung Fu, Ironside. Um, he was Detective Kevin O'Brien in Night Heat from eighty five to eighty nine, and oh. and Father Travis in V. Uh, the the two thousand nine version. Yeah, but it was the two thousand nine with Morena Baccarin. Oh, interesting. And. Uh, he was also Ennis in three episodes of Fargo. And the, the recent credit he had is from something from 2020 called Winona Earp. And he was in the first episode as Wyatt. Huh. Okay. So I yeah. love to hear that. I love to hear about an actor that works, you know, just has a whole career. It's fantastic. Yeah. And aside from his accent, I think his performance is really good in this. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, people people are a little more caught up, I think, with being um, accurate than they used to be. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're more, the, you know, nowadays, I think there there's a more of an emphasis on being accurate. I think at the time, you know, you get the part, you probably get no time at all to prepare for it, right? Right. And you just have to be, you just have to be like, Oh, don't Swedes sound like this? You know? <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> what I personally think that he did not sound like the Swedish chef. I thought he sounded pretty good. Uh, you know, okay. reasonably good. And except that, you know, it is sort of like, is that a German accent? At first I thought he was doing a German accent. And I was like, oh. uh, 
he might tip people off. Right. But his name's Bjornsson, so you <laughs> have to right. know. Anyway, and so just to skip tracks here. So my realization was, right. you know, I was thinking about all of the sci-fi that was sort of, you know, amping up at that time and trying to think about all the influences. And suddenly I was like, well, duh, the moon landing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think people got sort of outer space fever. Um, oh, yeah. During the whole time of the Apollo missions and the moon landing. And the moon landing was in 69, right? Uh, the first one, yeah, I think so. But yeah. I mean, they, they, the space program was continuing through the early 70s. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, you know, the big, the big event of the moon landing was in 69. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can sort of see how that was definitely a part, it played a part in all of this. Right. Um, and shortly after this, I don't think it's it because I know it happened during uh, Carter's administration, but somewhere uh, before 1980, the shuttle program began. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if they actually launched a shuttle during Carter's uh, presidency, but but I remember reading about it in the weekly reader at work at, at school. So. Huh. Yeah, they were talking all about how these shuttles were going to be, you know, incredible because they could they could fly out and come back to Earth. They were right. totally and reusable. They were incredible and and still are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it is it is a, a you know a, it was incredibly expensive and wasteful. You know, the amount of fuel that they had to have to just push that little capsule up. Right, and, and then, then jettison that entire section. And then jettison that entire fuselage or whatever it is, you know, uh, and just that's all just junk. Right. You and know? all we get back is that tiny little capsule uh, with right. ho and, hopefully some astronauts in it. Right, <laughs> right. And did, did they even reuse those? I don't know. But I don't know. Um. Anyway, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's it was a, a great um, advancement. Yeah, an in inspiring era. And inspiring, yeah, because, you know, everybody had seen 2001 A Space Odyssey and had seen that, like, you know, lunar shuttle. And, you know, I think I think that's the kind of thing that's inspiring all these billionaires. They they want they want to make that happen. Yeah. Yes. And we won't get into <laughs> <laughs> the politics uh, or opinions about the billionaires and their space programs, but anyway. right. So one more, one more catch-up thing from from my break. I uh, so I started reading a description that I didn't write, right? And so I'm like, oh, I can't read this because I didn't write it. And so what happened there was, uh, like I like I said before, I was kind of running short on time getting ready for this podcast and i didn't i didn't write my own outline of the show and there was a website that i that i had seen once before uh, i think during our our pilot episode um that has all these summaries of each episode it's this great old website um that's the way more detailed than imdb so i wanted to give credit but i don't i haven't been able to communicate with anybody associated with the website because it looks like it kind of stopped functioning around 2011. Mm. So it's an oldie, but it's, but, but it's still got, exists out there. Yeah. It's still out there. It's called a uh, wonderland site and it's www.wonderland-site.com. 
site, S-I-T-E dot com. And it's called Wonderland, the Ultimate Linda Carter site. And it's got all kinds of stuff. It's got it, it's promoting what was then her latest album. Mm -hmm. And it's got uh, summaries of this show, summaries of Partners in Crime that she did with Lonnie Anderson. And there was another show that she did in the later 80s. And I can't remember the title. This is terrible of me. Uh, but anyway, she did two other uh, TV shows where she was a regular. And, and so those are on there as well. Like it's okay. all... It's it's all kinds of information and it's great. I really wanted to give them credit. I don't know though uh, who is responsible like for writing the stuff that I'm using. I think yeah, yeah. it's somebody named Paul Corsi uh, or Frank Ewing. Those are the two uh, Americans credited on this website. There's also someone from the UK called Mark Sandler, France, Salvatore Altamore, and an Australian correspondent, uh, Paul Naylor. Also collaborators, Stephen Munns in the UK and Paul Kenny in Ireland. So any Every one of those. Every single one of them is a dude. Well, we love Linda Carter. I I, I, <laughs> I gather that, yes. <laughs> um, the website, speaking of dudes, though, the website is also run by somebody called Maya Cruz. And she may just be the, the person who hosted the site. Uh, mm. Maya Cruz at cruz.net. Um, but... Uh, I've I've tried to message all these folks, but I you know it was it's too recent. To, they they haven't had time to contact me if they're even still out there. But anyway, yeah. thank you people for writing all these these great summaries and all the trivia and all that good stuff. There's all kinds of stuff on there. It's a really great place. Check it out. Okay. Okay. So here we are where we last spoke. Uh, we were at the Harrison Academy where uh, there was a force field. Holding, holding Steve and Bjornsson yeah. at bay. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Andros just went on his way. He's <laughs> like, I got stuff to do. I can't, I can't deal with you guys right now. <laughs> so, so back at the war department, um, they, they discussed the search for Andros. Obviously somehow they got out of their force field. He probably just made it temporary so he could get out of there. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Steve tells Diana, you know, to follow any leads that she might come up with. And, and she has an idea because he referenced um, Lincoln in the, yeah. you know, in the, at the Academy. Yeah. Um, she, she decides to go check out the Lincoln Memorial and sure mm -hmm. enough, he's there. And there's yes. this absolutely wonderful scene. Well, <laughs> there are two things that happen. They have great dialogue. They, they have a really super conversation about Lincoln and stuff like that. But also apparently um, Wonder Woman is still a little uh, reticent to believe he's really as powerful as he says. And for some reason, he decides to just demonstrate an eclipse that well, happens out of nowhere. Yeah, I think she she no, she's she has noticed that he seems to be manipulating the, the natural elements. Oh, is, that's right. That's right. You know, and and he says, yes, you know, this is what it is. You know, I harden the air or I. um you know, I don't know, make it rain or whatever it is he says. And then and then he decides to give a demonstration uh -huh. of his of his ability, just a little a little something to show her how it works. And he decides <laughs> a solar eclipse is the appropriate choice. <laughs> and it's like, um, 
I think people are going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something it's to miss here, you know, in general. Like, it's not just pushing around a few cumulus clouds. He's he's right. moving no, he the moon where it's not. Rain. He, he <laughs> causes the freaking eclipse. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, she's she's impressed. But, like, you know what? You know what I bet? I bet Linda Carter and Tim Daniels. What's his name? Oh, oh uh, Tim O'Connor. Tim, Tim O'Connor. I bet they didn't know what it was going to be. I yeah. bet they just thought it was some, you know, I don't know. They were they were going to do something with the weather or something, right? Well, no, they did because it went dark. Yeah, they they did this really clean. They did know, and yeah, they were really all they reacted shadow. as if it was just a little, a little something, a little demo. <laughs> well, there's a difference between the weather and an astronomical event and the planets right <laughs> i mean solar eclipses don't happen inside the earth's atmosphere right <laughs> so and then and then he's like you know i try not to use it um what does he say the power you have it's it's awesome i don't use it lightly as i said i'm not here to arm mankind but to study it uh. and you're like he just caused a bringing unexplained solar eclipse. <laughs> so, but anyway, but so, we, yeah, I was sort of like, "What the hell?" <laughs> so we absolutely believe he's got he's got some serious powers. He just he just kind of moved the moon in front of the sun, and then I guess put it back. I. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, otherwise I there am, are going to be out of loss. <laughs> <laughs> It's. I mean, he had to have put it back. If it was the 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 uh, moon at all, maybe he used like a, a a large asteroid or something. Just plucked it out of space. I don't know. It, it looked like a like it would the be moon. A bad idea. <laughs> it's all a bad gravitational idea. Gravitational <laughs> issues. I... <laughs> yes. Yes. So anyway, we'll assume that he put it back and and set everything right that might have gone wrong. Maybe it was just clouds. It could have been clouds. Like a moon-shaped cloud, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he he. Um, the next scene, we're at the Aberdeen Proving Ground, so he can show off again. And, yes. And Bjornson's up there in the brush, spying on him. Right. Yeah. Like somehow they they've not checked their perimeter, and there's just <laughs> right. random spies in the hills around them. Yeah, I mean, you would think because, like, uh, you know, the proving grounds. The, I'm sure they test all kinds of weapons there. They right. have to make sure there aren't people just roaming around in the brush. So Bjornson, either maybe he just knows his stuff. He is a Nazi, after all. He's like a Nazi he, spy. He's got to yes, have training. He's a Nazi spy, like a deep cover, like he's been undercover for decades or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um. So, uh. So what? Uh, what Andros does is he, uh, you know, clouds form and then everything turns kind of red and there's all this, you know, thundery stuff happening. And then he points at this shack that I assume is just there for demonstration purposes <laughs> and, and lightning hits it. And Who's so in charge of rebuilding this shack every time, <laughs> every time they have to <laughs> rebuild this shack. <laughs> yeah and so then like lightning strikes it and 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 then there's it bursts into flame right well uh, yeah it's spectacular and so it's a it's a good enough demonstration to convince whoever's watching the general and all, all these folks that he's the real deal and he needs to be listened to and he gets to talk to the president yes and so 
uh oh and he says during this scene uh you know very sort of ominous he says i am not a diplomat or a political envoy or a polite envoy i'm sorry i am judge jury and if necessary executioner and everybody's like what <laughs> what okay well then definitely talk to the president so <laughs> so he, so he meets with the president and wonder woman's kind of waiting outside for him and uh the one piece of trivia on imdb is that when she's sitting outside there's a fountain in the background and that's the fountain from friends that's like the one piece of trivia on imdb which is interesting but not and really it's in new york yeah no it's uh la it's, it's in not... LA. oh we talked about this yeah that they they shot everything pretty much except for some of their stock like b-roll exteriors they yeah. shot everything in la so they have this studio city or whatever it is uh whatever it's called for uh, this particular studio and they have all these back lots with houses and buildings and fountains right, right. apparently and, and i so... was like you mean friends was not shot in new york <laughs> and you're like no honey i'm sorry <laughs> it was shot in la just like mash and little house on the prairie and well i was surprised too i mean i I mean, I guess it, it it didn't it didn't shock me when I found out, but but yeah, I I assumed it was a New York show, but but a lot of shows, like I think Seinfeld is the same. Like I think those shows that are set in New York are actually filmed in L.A. because it's just easier. There's just more room. There's more space. Yeah, yeah. yeah the weather's better. It's yeah. that's where all the actors are. So sorry, yeah, New York just, actors. I didn't. Just as a I little side that. note, I always thought it was pretty hilarious that you know on Little House on the Prairie that. You know, it was sort of basically always sunny and, you know, there's these wide rolling hills and, you know, even in the dead of winter, they I, most most of the time, unless they were having a specific like winter episode. Right. They just had California weather. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Like, this is supposed to be Minnesota. First of all, where's the forest? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. If you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna do Minnesota, do it California style. It's much easier. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, so and by the way, in this whole time, Wonder Woman is wearing her full formal dress. Coat. Yeah, like that She's gorgeous got on her cape, fabulous satin cape. Mm -hmm. She's got on the skirt. Remember, you and I talked about the skirt. Oh, right. She's wearing the skirt. Violet, right? Yeah, She's wearing the skirt. I'm like. Why can't she just always wear the skirt? It's not like it's getting in her way. Yeah. <laughs> and so so that she's not, you know, running around in a bathing suit all the time. But anyway, um, so yeah, she's got, you know, she 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 dressed up for Andros. Yeah. Well, she respects. Uh, and of course him. the president. She she uh, yeah, know. right. So so uh, on, uh Andros comes out and uh and Wonder Woman has a conversation with him, basically trying to convince him that uh, that humankind deserves an opportunity. And so he lets her, and and she she asks, I think she asks him, you know, can I use this golden lasso uh, to to make sure that you're telling me the truth? Uh huh. Which is kind of bold, frankly. But he's so kind. He's like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> is this a war between good and evil? Yes, I think so. I'm not yet convinced. There may be neither good nor evil, only degrees of savagery. No, you're wrong. There is a choice, Andros. 
and human beings must be allowed to make that choice. I was chosen for this mission because I didn't want it. I want to find hope. I want to see humankind grow into a true civilization, into the great comedy of planets. Trust me. And help me find a favorable answer. Will you trust me? Trust me to use my golden lasso so that I may know you're telling me the truth? Andros, have you told me the truth? Yes. If you judge the Earth a danger or threat to your council of planets, will you destroy it? The council will order it done. Can we stop you? No, I think not. And if you could, even though I'm monitored by the council, I still must report via my spacecraft's comweb every three of your days. And if somehow I'm killed or imprisoned, and that report is not made, an orbiting battle satellite will instantly attack. And this planet will become a barren cinder. He talks, you know, the way he talks will put a chill down your spine. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... They are not messing around. Yeah, and Diana's in an interesting position because, in a way, her and Andros are kind of equals. You know, like, yeah. she's got this incredible power. She's, I mean, right. not necessarily in the show, but in the in the comics and sort of... Yeah, in she's the, a, a demigoddess. She's yeah. a demigoddess. Like, she's super-duper powerful. But he's talking about her home planet. Like she's not on the outside of this, of this right. just defending us. She's defending her planet as well. So it's uh, she's she's caught between a rock and a hard place is what is what it is. Yeah. So so back at the War Department, uh, Steve says um, that the president has ordered a strike force to be ready against Andros, and Diana gets upset, like. You know, the, she's talking about how, you know, they think we're barbarians and you're acting like it. You're proving them right. Yeah. And this strike force to assassinate him. Only as a last resort, Diana, in case he tries to harm us. Harm us? If anything happens to Andrus, the Earth will be destroyed. Steve. Our only chance is to be honest with him, to trust him. Not to make a hopeless attempt to murder him. My assignment is a logical military alternative and a patriotic necessity. To quote Dr. Samuel Johnson, patriotism is the last refuge of scoundrels. Yeoman Prince. Yes, sir. Dismissed. Aye, aye, sir. Which, I mean, that is big talk, not just to Steve Trevor, but to an audience in 1976 or technically 77. Like like a generally patriotic audience, like this is these are big words, but well, you can first, see why. It's the first fight she has with Steve. Yeah, right. And but she's you mad, know, and, and for a good reason. What'd you say? I'm sorry. Oh, she's mad at him. She's absolutely. She's, she's yeah. She's clearly mad, and I mean, you can kind of see that. Uh, you know, he he does. He has to follow orders. He's in the military, right? You know, right. he has to follow orders. Well, um, you know, I mean, she, if she needs to have an argument, she needs to have it with FDR. Right. You know, like what he what she's what he's not emphasizing is that this is this is like a backup plan in case Andro Andros goes crazy. Like, right. you know, like he decides, oh, I'm going to destroy you all. Like he has to have a backup. That's his, that his like you say, that's his job. You know? But 
you know, I think she said that to him later, but in that moment would be a good time to say, if he is harmed in any way, we're, this planet is doomed. Right. You know, <laughs> that would be a good time to say something about that. <laughs> yeah. But she's too mad because, he, yeah, I mean, it feels mad. like. She's, she, her, she's disillusioned. I mean, she's yeah. like, she didn't want to believe it of Steve. Right. Yeah. I mean, this whole idea, first of all, that, um, you know, that he could be turned into a weapon. Steve doesn't necessarily say that out loud or take that position, but he has said that before. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember when, but he has said it before. Like, this could make a, a wonderful weapon. Oh, it was it was the uh, the Plutophile episode. You mm. know, they're, they're the thing that makes earthquakes. He, he immediately says what all the military people are thinking. This could be turned into an awesome weapon. Right. And Diana's like, hold the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, and you know, when you're at war, it's it's natural to want to find the you know most powerful weapon you can. Yeah. As a deterrent, if anything. That, you know, especially if a situation is created where you're always at war. Yeah. You know, or someone somewhere is always at war. It's like, well, where do you draw the line? Right. So later on, Steve does say he understands her position and and asks her to go watch after Andros, who's reading at the Library of Congress. Oh, yeah, that's that's where the big library fight happens. Yeah, th I, I'm confused. I'm, I'm not remembering this right. Uh, does he say that to Diana or Wonder Woman? Which? Say what? That he he understands her position, and then he sends her to watch Andros, who's at the Library of Congress. It was Diana. Okay, all right. He had the fight with the Diana, not Wonder Woman. Right, right, and but that's that's what confused me. I thought he had the fight with Diana, and then he sends Wonder Woman to um to the Library of Congress, but he doesn't. He just tells Diana to go there. When Andros is at the Library of Congress, he is approached by Bjornson and a couple of thugs. Right. Yep. And so. Uh, Wonder Woman sees this and she springs into action. Yeah. And because they're they're kind of rough with him right away. They're like, you're coming with us. Yeah. And so there's a big fight. And there's this stunt that we talked about where she sails into the frame over this bookcase. Right. She's leaping over this huge bookcase and she sort of, you know, kicks off at the top. And then... Right jumps down on these guys and, and does what she does. She throws them in different directions. Right. And she's winning the fight until Bjornsson uh, activates some kind of canister of, of poison gas. Yeah. Right which, in her face and she passes out. Yeah. And it's weird that like, he doesn't even have a gas mask. <laughs> right. I <laughs> guess, pretty... you know, it aimed at her and who knows, but here's the one thing we should mention in this fight. Yeah. Is that she, uh, you know, instead of just knocking them out, she decides to push over the entire row of stacks. That's right. You know, like That's she's right. just like she pushes, she pushes the huge, the huge book shelves. Yeah, it's like and they fifteen do the shelves thing high. Where they, you know. Yeah, and, and it's like, girl. Why, why you want to be so destructive? You know? <laughs> Do you know the mess that's going to have to be cleaned up? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the librarians going in and being like, oh my God. 
<laughs> well, if she's stuck on the one side of the stacks and the bad guys are on the other, it it didn't look faster, but it may she may have thought it was faster to just push the push the whole row of stacks so they would domino right into this this bad guy. Except they just domino so slowly. I mean, the people could totally get away from it. Yeah. And anyway, <laughs> I mean, I, I know I shouldn't be looking for a reason here, but, you know, it's very dramatic. It looks very dramatic. And but it's, it's a... the sort of thing that, you know, people do in movies and TV shows. They push over heavy shelves onto people. Right, right. But I have to say that, you know, you know what? When she had that fight in the pilot with the Nazi woman, yeah, did she hit her? I think she kicked her. She swung on the chandelier and kicked her. Yeah, yeah. I don't. She, I don't know that she punched her. It's just really interesting, you know. Sometimes I just wish she would just clock someone. You know, just <laughs> she could. T- she could make it all end so much quicker if she would just knock them out. You know, just yeah. one one smack to the jaw. <laughs> And, you know, what do they say in the boxing? TKO, total knockout. (laughs) So, which has a double meaning when you're talking about Linda Carter. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So, so Bjornsson is taken, uh, Andros is taken prisoner by Bjornsson. And um, now we shouldn't forget that the Galactic Council is sort of watching andros and so yeah. they and they talk to him before this incident like right before it i i believe and and basically they they say they're canceling his power linkages right so he's they're not going to have any power right no more eclipses they appear guy. as floating heads uh in the, <laughs> yeah. in the ceiling of the library yeah yeah and he's like okay you know he's pretty I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not that he's happy about it, but... Right. But he's still trusting and hoping that the humans are going to, you know, right. prove, it, prove him right. And show up in their barbaric. Yeah. So Wonder Woman takes a while to recover from this uh, poison gas. Like, she's... Uh, Steve visits her in the hospital, and she's, like, sitting in a chair, and she's got her shoulders kind of up and forward, like she's kind of weak, you know? And, yeah, uh, they, I mean, it, the I think the the implication is is that it should have killed her. Yeah, you know, and that they don't they don't even know what the poison was, and they don't have an antidote or anything, and it's just she's just curing herself because mm-hmm. she's got these superhuman powers. But it seems uncomfortable to me that she's in the hospital, recovering from this situation, and she's just sitting there wearing her red white and blues mm-hmm. as opposed to being like in the bed wearing a hospital gown with i i don't know it just it seems so bizarre and uncomfortable that she has on that outfit while she's trying to recover from this thing well she definitely has, a blanket <laughs> she definitely has to keep the belt on because that's what's healing her like that's she, what focuses that's what her power like how does this belt have so much freaking power it's it's just the way they set it up for the show and it's and it's become an issue like s- several times when when they when people figure out that they can take the belt off of her she turns into a mortal like she's just as supposedly as weak as anybody else except See, that, she, 
They're they're inconsistent. Do you remember in the pilot? She picks Steve up and runs along the beach carrying him. Well, yes, I should say she's just her regular Amazon self, which is still incredibly strong, but not as strong as Wonder Woman. Hmm. Oh no, wait, wait. The uh the belt uh allows her to keep her powers that she has on Paradise Island. They they point out that they have these Amazonian powers while they're on the island. But if they leave the island, uh, they need some kind of special charm or focus to... Oh, was this in some one of the episodes? Uh, it was in the pilot, I think. She, the, Her mom says that, uh, you know, when you, when you go out into the world of mortal men, you're, um, you're not going to have the powers that you have here. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, so this belt uh-huh. will allow you to somehow keep those powers. Okay. There's something that, like that. That at least is an explanation. <laughs> it is an explanation, yes. So, okay. um, so yeah, so she's got to keep her belt on. I don't know about the outfit, but um, if they if they want to keep the belt on, they can't take the outfit off of her. Right. I mean, I guess they could put a blanket over her, like you say. <laughs> She can have a nice blanket to keep her comfy, but she's yeah, like, I don't know. There was just something very weird about seeing her in the hospital, just sort of, but you know, maybe she wasn't even sick for very long. Well, and she's eager to get out of there. Like you can yeah. tell, like, she's like, as soon as she comes up with a reason, she's, she's, she's leaving. Yeah. She's you know, she just, you know, she swoons a little bit. So Steve can catch her. Yeah. <laughs> but she's going to go check out the spacecraft. She's going to see if she can find it. Yeah. Um, because she feels like it's urgent to get a message to this intergalactic council because he's not going to be able to get his messages uh, to them, even though it's also made clear that they're watching him. They're watching the entire time. So they don't really need to get messages from him Well, at at certain intervals. Maybe, here, let's make something up. Maybe he has to send some kind of signal to the satellite. Oh, that's right. The satellite. Yeah, it might be on automatic or something. Yes. Like he's got to send a signal, that, an AOK signal to the satellite. Let's let's go with that. Okay. I like that. Um, yeah, because this council, even though they're watching him, I mean, they're not watching him constantly necessarily. Like like at some point, it's just um, Gorin that, that sends a message to him. Right. Because it, it's clear that they're friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so she does find the ship. She she manages to to look through the woods and find, you know, she figures out kind of where logically it should be. And sure enough, there it is. Uh-huh. And and she's trying to uh, figure out how to get in there. And she remembers that um, when he did the thing at the at the Proving Grounds, or yeah. you know, maybe it was at the Lincoln Memorial. Could have been both. He, well, he did it a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, so he does that whistly thing. He, he whistles yeah. a little tune. Yeah, whistles a happy tune, and then and it's then not touches. A ha- it's it's meant to be a haunting tune. I yes, mean. I'm sorry, it's a haunting like, tune. That's not it, but it's something like that. That's weird. The mic didn't pick you up. I just I, freaked I think out. It ju- my cat too. Yeah, <laughs> the mic- yeah that happened when you laughed really loudly. Your your mic blanked out on you. Yeah, I wonder. Like there are certain frequencies or volumes that Zoom doesn't like. It thinks yeah. it's doing me a favor. Is what it is. So you don't. So I don't like pierce your ear. Right. Anyway. So anyway, you just whistled the little tune. 
Yeah, you can play the tune. You can play the, the clip of the tune. Right. So she whistles that, and sure enough, the door opens, and she gets in there, but then there's like some kind of security system and a, and a loud noise, and uh, she kind of like does it, uh, a Captain Kirk, you know, right. like covers her, her hands ears. on her ears, and then... To be continued. Yes, yes. So part two begins. And Wonder Woman is right where we left her in Andros' right, spaceship. Hands over her ears. Yes. And she uh sort of collects herself and remembers the 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 tune that she whistled to get in, and she does it again, and sure enough, that uh, overrides the security system. So she goes to his uh control panel. And somehow figures out to deliver a message to the Galactic Council. I mean, she's not sure she's being heard, but she just kind of hope she's hoping. Mm -hmm. and, and sure enough, they're you know they're listening. Um, and they, I can't. It's not clear uh, that uh, you know whether they're just watching because they can do that, or if she actually successfully got in touch with them somehow. Mm -hmm. um, either through the ship or whatever. So anyway, they, they hear her and she gives all the info, you know, Andros has been captured by the Nazis and she says, she, you know, pleads with them. There are good people here, people worth saving people who right now are risking their lives to, uh, to save a stranger like Andros. And so nevertheless, they, they hear this, but they still have their doubts, especially Sakri, mm -hmm. who is not very nice. Let's just say she's that. She's got a very itchy trigger finger. <laughs> she does. She's like. She's just like from the very beginning. She's like, let's just obliterate them. Yeah. <laughs> like, man. I know. It's, all, it's like she thinks it would just be easier and they can get on with their day. Well, it would be easier, but it's pretty harsh. Yeah. Like and somehow... by the way, if they, have some, if they have that power, why don't they just like obliterate the nuclear weapons? Well, because yeah. we have the technology to to make them again. Well, that's a good point. I mean, the idea is that, and this is something that you know people have talked about in you know other other science fiction and you know essays that are not even fictional. You know that we have somehow our 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 technological advancement has outpaced our emotional development as a species. Yeah. And so we've got way too much power when we don't have the wisdom as a people to to use it right. properly. Right. And and that is a, an ongoing problem for us. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. You know, and I, I have to tell you that, I, you know, when when they were having that conversation in the garden that was supposed to be, I guess, outside of the White House. Right, right. In front of the Friends Fountain. And, you know, she she was talking about, you know, the planet's worth saving or something like that. A little part of me is like, um, are we, though? <laughs> you know, like very different from who I was when I was a kid and watching this. Yeah. You know, it was just the natural response is, well, of course, we're worth saving. And sometimes I'm like, well, are we? Yeah, I think we are. There's good people. Right. But, you know, we are. We're, we're, we're kind of a hot mess. 
Yeah. It's a tough question. Like, are we, are we worth saving? I mean, the fact is, is that it's, it's not the business of any exterior force to decide. But, right. No aliens allowed. In you know, and they're supposed to be so evolved and, you know, pacifist. And yet they're like, oh, just burn up the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, excuse me, who's the savage here? Right. Right. Anyway. Uh, very good point. So, so two weeks have passed. And at the War Department, Blankenship gets uh, some intel um, that uh, that Andros is probably at an interrogation center in Germany. And so Steve immediately volunteers to go, uh, of course. Right. Yes, it's uh, Schloss Markheim or something like that. That's right. right. That's our next scene, yeah. Um, so they, Markheim. Yeah, Schlo Schloss Markheim Interrogation Center. Andros, uh, so he's there being held by the Nazis. They just kind of established that. And uh, and then, so Steve goes to London and talks to, and this is the second time I think that he's done this. I mean, I guess, you know, that's, it's like the thing to do. If you're going to infiltrate Germany, make a stop in England because they've, you know, they've got the, uh, they've got the personnel and the, uh, uh, the intelligence. Well, yeah. Team. And you have to refuel. Yes. So uh, so he goes to London. He talks to a general uh, clues and um, and his double agent, uh, Ewan Mallory. Clues is played by George A. Cooper. And he's a, a regular. Uh, he's got a lot of TV credits, but they're it seems like they're mostly British. He was in the um, the British version of Sanford and Son called Steptoe and Son. And. He also had a role, uh, I think, just as a day player. But uh, in one of your favorites, um, some mothers do have him. Oh, <laughs> you said he was a regular. No, I don't think he was a regular. I oh, think okay. he he just, you know, he he had a, a guest a guest part. Dear listening audience, <laughs> yes. if you like old sixties British comedy. With lots of goofy slapstick. Mm -hmm. Please go find some mothers do have them. Interestingly, the lead guy in that is, oh, I'm not going to be able to remember, uh, Stephen Crawford? Anyway, he was the fan of the opera for oh, years, really? I think, for, for several years. He did a lot of like Broadway stuff. And so, but he, I think he got his start on this sitcom. Uh, Michael Crawford. Michael Crawford. I just looked it up. Yeah. yeah. And it is so freaking funny. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I like slapstick, but, you know, and he plays this sort of, he's like stupid and childlike, yeah. uh, but he's so endearing. And, you know, he's, the, he's this newlywed and there's all kinds of bumbles and mishaps and, it's just, we should watch that again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Very funny. Um, and so this this double agent is, uh, Mallory is played by Christopher Carey. And he's another TV actor, just a lot of guest starring roles on Batman, Hawaii Five-O, Rockford Files, General Hospital, Hill Street Blues, all the stuff. And so. Nice. Actors who work. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to take Steve over to the Nazi interrogation center at Schloss Markheim in Germany. 
And of course, at the same time, Wonder Woman leaves Washington, D.C. in her invisible plane uh, and heads off to Europe. With the smooth jazz playing, as usual. Well, yeah. There's always this sort of romantic smooth jazz that plays. That's right. I think right. you and Susan talked about that, too. Oh, yeah. And and, and I will talk about it again. Okay. <laughs> because because it's like, um, it's, it's it got established in that first episode you know right that it and, was... and my theory is that it you know there was this like romantic thing happening with her and steve mm -hmm. yeah and that that's the reason they chose that music but then yeah they're like well this is the music when she flies in the plane and of course it's the goofy little doll <laughs> in the little model you know i mean it is and you know we always have to remember that this was being watched on smaller screens yes that were farther away and had less you know, high definition capability than current TVs. Right. right. So there's just a multitude of sins that get covered. It's like it's like on MASH when um, Margaret Houlihan is supposed to be knitting. Oh, right. First of all, she had those long ass fingernails when she was in Korea. Uh, that was weird. <laughs> and, and then and she's like, she's by knitting, she's just kind of basically moving the two knitting needles next to each other up and down you know <laughs> she's not doing anything resembling knitting <laughs> but that's just not the kind of thing that you could see on the tvs back in that back that's in the right. day you know yeah. so that little doll probably still looked like a little doll but maybe not as goofy as it looks now <laughs> yeah most of the tvs that i acquired when i was a young man um were like 12 or 13 inch black and white tvs and that's where I watched most of my stuff. I finally creatively acquired a color TV that was like 24 inches. And that was. Right. And that uh, was the big, that was the big family color TV, yeah. but it was sitting all the way across on the other side of the living room, you know? It, so I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yes, in, in uh, HD on a large screen, you definitely see the doll. <laughs> <laughs> So she flies her doll over to uh, Europe. And um, so now back at the uh, interrogation center, right? They're in the laboratory. And so there's a professor there, Hank Brandt. And uh, he he's trying to find the source of Andros's powers. Uh, Hank Brandt, by the way, uh, is um, another kind of day player. Although he's he's had a very long career. He started out in stuff like Alfred Hitchcock, Lassie. Leonard, uh, he was Leonard Vagadorn in Julia, um, which was, I think, the first TV show to have an African American lead. Julia was was a yeah, black it was nurse. groundbreaking. I'm not sure. I, I think it was probably the first, but if it wasn't, it was still it was majorly groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah she was a nurse, right? And yeah, yeah. So he was in that, um, and he was Morgan Hess on Dynasty for uh, quite a few episodes. He was also in Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin, a couple <laughs> okay. of those goofball movies. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, later on, after you know, after they're in the lab for a while and they can't figure anything out with this, you know, his amulet they're looking at, um, and they just can't figure out how it works. And uh, so they have a dinner, and so there are, you know, these. You know, people are dressed in their tuxes and whatever, and their their Nazi uniforms, and uh, and they're gonna, you know, allow him to sit with them and and have dinner. And he kind of feels like a guest, and I 
you know, he doesn't have his powers, but he still doesn't seem afraid. Right. And they, they treat him like a guest for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He, they, at the beginning they do. I mean, Bjornsson gets, gets increasingly, uh, um, frustrated and impatient with him. Yeah. So, uh, but but here they're just trying to you know be nice, right? So they set him up. They give him a, a dinner guest, uh, uh, Lisa Engel. Uh, right. Who's... So they yes, they invite a couple of little um, you know, <laughs> hatsitatsis, hatsitatsis, a couple <laughs> of women to be part of this dinner, thinking, well, maybe we can appeal to his, you know. Uh, I don't know, whatever, you know, maybe, maybe a woman can, can get the information out of him. Right, right. So, um. The character's name is something like Elsa or something, right? Uh, Lisa Engel. Uh, no, that's the actor's name. What's the character's name? Um, no, that is the, uh, the, the character's name. The actor, oh, okay. the actor is Christiane Schmitter. Schmitter. Oh. So she was maybe actually German. She but, was. But yeah, you know, she 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 looks very German. She, you know, she's blonde and yeah. Yeah, she was um in... not the, not sorry, blonde and looked German in other ways too. <laughs> yeah. So she, well she did apparently she she posed for Playboy. Um oh. and and she uh she most of her TV credits until uh 65 were German programs. Um so she and, is German. Yeah. And and but she appeared as as the uh German stewardess in the movie Boeing Boeing. And that's kind of her Hollywood break in. And then she was in You know, there was a movie bo of Boeing Boeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, the musicals the musicals based on a, a movie. Okay. Um uh so then she was in Wild West and Hogan's Heroes and something called The Big Doll House. And uh, and a TV movie, Scream, Pretty Peggy, and also uh, I, I believe her last credit was something called Hot Bubblegum, <laughs> and that was in '81. And then she didn't do a single thing after that. Uh, I believe she went back to Germany to take care of her mom. Ah, uh, yes. yes. Well, I think that having to be in something called Hot Bubblegum would do <laughs> do just about anybody in. Be like, okay, screw this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she has this talk with Andros, and she's just being flirty and trying to. Well, she was trying to seduce him, yeah. Right, and he immediately, like, gets serious and sort of looks into her heart. He gets all personal, right? Yeah, she he's does not like that one bit. I promised you, Andros, that we'd have a chance to talk more privately and more pleasantly. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you. Was it? Beautiful, bubbling. It's alive. It's too bad the sparkle is so short-lived. And then it's dead. Tell me something. Why do you let yourself be used like this? A charming object sent off to seduce a stranger. Love isn't a commodity. It's at least a gift. At best, the sherry. Do you remember when you were a little girl? The ocean sunrises over Westermund. The golden dreams of a night come riding. How did you know? And the girl who knew she was beautiful. 
And she's like, yeah, she freaks out and just leaves. She's like, yeah, this is too much. No. Well, yeah, because she was, you know, she's specifically there to seduce him and get the information out of him. And he's not supposed to know personal things about her. Right, right. So she leaves. And then this is when Goral appears to him. And, um, and you know, he's basically, he's saying, look, Andros, I'll save you, but then we're going to destroy the planet. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's the best know, I can do for you. He's like, you're my friend and I don't want to lose you. Right, right. Yeah. And so this is his, you know, friendly offer. And, and Andros is willing to die if that's what it takes. He wants to see this thing to the end. And, uh, and he doesn't want to forsake his, his human friends. So at the interrogation center, Wonder Woman tries to rescue Andro. She gets in there, um, but she gets captured. They take her golden belt. Plus, because Andro doesn't want to be rescued. He's, he's basically like, well. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, the whole, the whole scene was like, if Andros wasn't just standing there being like, you know, I'm good. <laughs> she probably right. could have helped him out, but like probably, yeah. But, but like he's she he's he's just like, no, I'm 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 here to just as much as I was there in, in the United States to try and you know reach out. I'm here to try and reach out, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so so Wonder Woman tries to uh you know, and he tells them, he's like, Look, I'll stay here if you don't harm Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. So he at and least then, says speaking yeah. of her belt, they take her stuff away. Yeah. Yeah. They so so she's powerless. And she tries to explain the difference between Nazis and democracy. And it's not really having an effect on them. He's just like, well, people, you know, there are all different kinds of people. <laughs> so so soon after, Steve and Mallory arrive at Schloss Schlossmark. I can never say this. Schlossmark. Schloss. Schloss, Schloss Markheim. Uh, they're undercover as Captain Braun and Lieutenant Felzer. Um, but Captain Grau, uh, now, the, so the captain, Captain Grau is the guy that meets them at the gate. And and he recognizes the name Felzer because he just came from the uh, uh, the Eastern Front, uh, supposedly. I mean, the actual, the real Felzer, that he, the name that Steve is using, Right. Is somebody at the at the Eastern Front? He's still right. there, and they're just hoping that you know he doesn't show up. Basically, I mean, and the Eastern Front is very far away, so right. And pretty and, good you know, chance, yeah. You got this idea from Hogan's Heroes, or like real life, if you know anything about World War II. But but like the Eastern Front is like a death sentence almost because yeah. nobody that wanted was, to be there. That was the front was Russia, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, the Russians you know, cold and. People are starving and yeah, the, it's brutal. It was, I think it was World War One where they called it the gray steamroller, not World War Two. But the Russians wore these gray uniforms and they basically they did they did like something you would see in um the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. You know, they just they just got mowed down and they just kept coming. Yeah. You know, and millions, I don't know how many, but millions of young men were just massacred. Yeah. Uh, and there just were so many people in Russia mm -hmm. that they were able to do that. Right. Right. So anyway, you know, you can imagine that this Eastern Front is an incredibly bleak. Exactly. Cold, terrible and place. Yeah. And people didn't get sent there unless, <laughs> I mean... 
you know, a lot of, you know, infantry I'm sure got sent there, but, but like, if you got sent there, you weren't expected necessarily to come back. So like when people right. got in trouble, like on Hogan's heroes, when people got in trouble, immediately they were threatened with the, the Eastern front. Right. <laughs> and even if, even if they, you know, even if it wasn't that they were going to die, it, it's like being threatened of, of being sent to Siberia, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's essentially this desolate end of the world. I digress. That's, that's fine. So Captain Grau, either, either he recognizes the name that Steve is using, or he recognizes the unit from the Eastern front that he's, that he's supposed to be from. And he says, you have a friend here. Lieutenant Berghoff uh, is, is uh, you know, from your same unit. Do you know him? And and Steve is like, oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, good old Berghoff. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, right. yes, yes, yes. And, um, and so, you know, the guy offers to, like, go find Berghoff. And, and then, um, you know, the double agent, Mallory, he's like, oh, we got to get going. We Sorry, go. we don't have time for that right now. Yes. We don't have time for this nonsense. And so Steve's like, oh, yeah, well, I guess, you know, just tell him hi for me. And so he leaves. And um, and then later they show a scene where Captain Grau uh, actually talks to Berghoff. And so Captain Grau uh, is is played by Eric Holland. Uh, and he's a Norwegian actor. Uh, but he did a lot of stuff and I mean he went to California right away apparently he he was in the outlaw Josie Wales Stargate Titanic Ghostbusters 2 and West Wing so oh. so he's he's done a lot uh but he was but he's from uh Norway okay and, and the guy who plays Berghoff the friend who just shows up for this one scene his name is Ted Roter and he did all kinds of normal looking stuff in the late 60s like my three sons our man flint it takes a thief and then in 1970 according to the imdb it's all directing and acting in adult movies <laughs> like, like i he just switched i don't know why or how i don't want to investigate but yes but well, he like, maybe that was where the money was maybe but like in the middle of doing all that adult content you know throughout the 70s he's got this one credit for wonder woman what? <laughs> where he's in in this episode you know That's this is 1976 weird. huh so i don't know, you know i mean they, they 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 specifically needed somebody short right that's true and Not somebody that, it's that hard but maybe it is hard maybe at the time anyway maybe it was hard to find Actors yeah. who were short. I, I I don't know. It is also possible. I will say it's also possible that that IMDb is mixed up and there's somebody else with his name, uh, that that is doing oh, this other career. That's an interesting thought. Hmm, I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, IMDb is not perfect for sure. And, yeah. And it's possible that. I mean, I don't want to say it's it. You know, this can't be because no, you know. I mean, who and, knows? Who knows? He maybe he had a friend. It's like, hey, you know, I can get you this gig, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, the 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 upshot is is that he shows up and you know it is revealed in his conversation with the guy. Yeah, like the reason the, the real Felser. the real Felzer, he's he's my size, you know. Yeah, because he had you know, to, they switched uniforms. 10. That's that's right. why, you know, because like uh this Berghoff says, Yeah, I've got one of his uniforms. I borrowed it, I can give it back to him and 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 this uh you know 
But Captain Grau is like, I don't think so. This oh, dude was this like, guy is like six three, and he's like, and so Berghoff is like, well then, that's not Felzer. Yeah, you've got an imposter. Like, oh no, an imposter. <laughs> so but they. It, it is interesting because so Lionel Wagner, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he's six three. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. Linda Carter is tall, and yeah. when she's got on those high heel boots, she's really tall, and he is still slightly taller than her because yeah. he has to be of course right right you know according to old hollywood rules you know so they needed somebody really tall and the truth is is that lionel, lionel wagner was like he was born for that part yeah yeah no but anyway so they figure out that that steve and his buddy mallory are are spies and so they uh immediately subdue them and so now we've got wonder woman andros steve and mallory all busted yeah and and this uh interrogation center you know has this sort of ominous basement that has all these cells in it and it's almost like also a maze a giant lab where they're like trying to yeah they're trying to what this pendant does and yeah 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 so um God knows so, what they do down there. <laughs> so Bjorn starts getting, uh, Bjornson starts getting tough with, uh, with Andros. And he's like, I don't believe that you're an alien. I don't believe anything you're saying. I believe you're a nuclear scientist or an atomic scientist. And you have secrets and you're going to tell them to me. And that's that. <laughs> like, you know. Um, and so Andros finally understands what Wonder Woman is trying to tell him. And he goes, the, you've... The Nazis are are worse. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, part of it is his appreciation. Because when he realizes how dangerous the Nazis are, he realizes what a sacrifice that, that Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor and his buddy are making to try to save him. Yeah. You know? And so he says, you've convinced me. I'm a, I am a terrible threat to your planet. And yet... You are here at risk of life to help me. And so and so is Major Trevor and you and Mallory. The Americans, the Allies, they have human virtues, human flaws, but the Nazis. And then Bjorn says, I don't need a lecture from you on ethics. And Andros replies, nor would you understand it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, and he says, you spoke to me of your cultural inheritance, your inheritance is in direct line, a direct line with Genghis Khan, Attila. You celebrate the darkness in the human soul, which is a great speech. But yes, but Bjornson is probably like, yeah, Genghis Khan. <laughs> I don't know, like and any opportunity to insult a Nazi, one must take. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so, so and the of course the council sees this because they're spying the whole time, and so they decide to give. Andros his powers back so that you know the odds are a little more even right and and Wonder Woman in you know be, and, and I don't know how it happens sort of in the confusion Wonder Woman is able to grab her belt mm -hmm. and so um so Andros has got his his medallion device and uh Wonder Woman's got her belt and so now we've got a fair fight and well as fair well, as it can be it's not a fair fight but now they can get away Yes. Yes. So they're 
you know, he basically says sort of what we talked about before that her coming there to help him has renewed his faith in mankind. So he just, I, I think that somehow they decide to stick around and see if they can break Steve and Mallory out of there. Um, and Lisa Engel shows up and helps yeah. them. Yeah. Because like, Anders got to her. Yeah. He's like, he was like a regular super duper guy. And the thing is, is that you get the you get the sense that she she's still a Nazi. She's still loyal and dedicated mm-hmm. to that cause. Yeah. But that she wants to help him specifically because he showed her this kindness. Yeah. And she says, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Right. Right. You know. So she leads them all out. There's this great sort of chase you know, up in and around the cells with, with all these hallways that I'm sure were like the same hallway. Yeah. But they would put like a different set decoration in the back. <laughs> and so. Of course. So that's how, that's how TV works. That's right. Um, but it, it, it was enough for me. I, I was like, yeah, what a maze down there. I know, um, right? So they finally, you know, escape with, with Lisa Engel's help to this sort of bunker exit Backdoor. Yeah, like a, a little back door. So anyway, they get out of the bunker. They yes. do make their escape. Yes. And and it's several days later, we sort of jump ahead, and Andros and Wonder Woman are saying goodbye. And it's really sweet. Yeah. You know, like they've developed this really incredible relationship. Yeah. Has the decision been reached, Andros? Yes. We found war, violence, injustice. And torture. Your planet is troubled, Princess. Humankind is flawed with self-destruction. But it's only a flaw. It's the disease of racial childhood. I found the balance. And I remember how you gave me back my power freely, ethically. Then the Earth won't be destroyed. No, the spirit be thanked. I won a vote in the council. (laughs) Fifty of your years, Princess. I'm empowered to grant you that 50 years. And you'll have atomic power. You'll begin to explore space. I hope you discover answers. Oh, we will. So it's almost like we're on probation. Yep. (laughs) So at least we got 50 years. Yeah, like, you know, (laughs) try and make things better in 50 years. Yeah, and apparently we we kind of passed, but I'm surprised. Uh, because like yeah. I have to say I I thought of this right after this this episode um like right after Andros leaves we drop a nuclear weapon on uh Hiroshima and Nagasaki mm-hmm. like that's that's our you know we we got it we got probation and that's what we did yeah. So, but on the other hand, uh, it ended the war. It ended the war. So, I mean, I, I guess... mean, I'm, I, I'm not, obviously, not advocating it. Right, but... right. I, I mean, that's a big old debate. But I thought it was kind of sadly ironic that, according to this story, we got, we got a chance to prove that, you know, that, that we're we were, worthy. yeah, uh, yeah, and then we just went nuclear. So, yeah. But that's another story, isn't it? 
Yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to get depressed here in a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so, um, so, and Andros does invite Wonder Woman to go with him. Yeah, and, and he makes a pretty good offer. The universe. Like, yeah, and he he mentions like Doctor Who. You know, he mentions all these different planets she could see, and yeah. yeah. And she's like, no, I, I also have a pledge here to my planet, humanity. It's my destiny. So, you know, she's she's very sweet. She's tempted, but um, but she's not going. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and, you know, they kind of say, you know, I'll see you in 50 years. Yeah. And in a way, you know, in season two, she runs into Andros, although it's not Tim O'Connor. <laughs> so uh, right and it's also not been 50 years it's been like no it's only been uh from 42 to years? 77 yeah yeah 30 some years so things don't always turn out the way we want them but at least it turned out well, well at least we are not a barren cinder yes yes there is that uh, so, well, that's kind of a down note to end the show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had to bring it up, but it's no, like, no, it's I, the exact, just, like, it's yeah. the exact thing that the council was worried about. Yeah, exactly. And we blew it, but we, we did it after Andros left. So we were safe, but Except, we, you know, there's an implication that they they're watching, you know, whatever. Yeah. we, I, you know, I mean, this was. It was 76. Yeah. So. January of 77. Yeah. Maybe people didn't. And also, you know, they probably didn't approach it. I mean, it was, a, it, 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 the people thought of it as a kid's show, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was super colorful. It was based on a comic book, you know, it was supposed to be a kid's show. I don't think anybody, you know, let it get to them too much. Yeah. You know, the alien from outer space coming and passing judgment on Earth. I, I think you I and I are too <laughs> empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, it was a delightful episode. Yeah. Well, you know, it had a lot of fun sci-fi in it. Yeah. And and we got to see Tim O'Connor, who's yeah. awesome and in, in um uh Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers. Yeah. And that same, you know, kind kind of measured quality. Yeah. I know that's how he got the gig. I just know it. Yeah. In Buck Rogers. Right. I, I swear to God, I need to watch Buck Rogers now because I think he might be wearing the same damn outfit. <laughs> but, you know, and isn't it interesting how like on Star Trek and all these shows, these more evolved, advanced civilizations are somehow always wearing like metallic silver fabric. Yeah. Why is that? It's just the most the most alien modern looking thing that people can come up with. <laughs> I guess. You know, it's like, wow, this looks crazy alien. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> how that evolved, but there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Laura, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Of course. Uh, it's fun. It's super fun. We're gonna do it again at the beginning of season two. Yeah, and I You're wish gonna... I had something like profound to say here at the end, but you said a lot of profound things throughout the, the episode. <laughs> so so next time we're gonna talk about um we're gonna talk about the uh 
the first episode of season two, and we're going to talk about 1977. So, of course, that's going to include the advent of Star Wars. Right. Not that I haven't already mentioned it 15 times. (laughs) But, yes. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Okay. It's been fun. Yay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Laura for the tremendous episode and big apologies to superstar producer Glenn A. Larson for calling him Gary Larson, creator of Doonesbury. Not the same. We've got great stuff coming up next month and beyond. So as always, thank you so much for listening. I don't know who you are or why you're sharing your valuable time with me, but I am grateful. Now check us out at wonderwomanwednesdays.com for all our stuff. We've got our socials there and some other podcasts we follow like Eventually Super Train with the great Dan Budnick, which at press time, if you head over there, you might hear a familiar voice as a guest talking about a Linda Carter project that did not have the longevity that Wonder Woman had. That's eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. Until next time, please be kind whenever possible. And guys, it is always possible.